Konami is dying on a silent hill. And the fabled Xbox tax. Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation <laughs> podcast. I am your host, Brett Beck. And alongside me, draped in darkness, I have Ooh. yet to see the uh, the mystical, the mysterious, potentially beautiful, lipsticky-o'd Chris Figs. Chris, <laughs> I think it's time that for those who choose to watch this podcast, <laughs> you reveal yourself. Please watch Step this into episode the light. of the podcast. Are you ready? Step into the light. Prepared. Hey. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I struggle to know if I should even reference it or if I should just not ever confirm what it is through words so that someone has to come look. You should. I think watch that's them, what I'm yeah. going with. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what an outfit to wear on the day that we talk about the Xbox tax. <laughs> I, not saying I did it on purpose. Well, Chris, what I'll say is that your punishment for the Velvet's Corner came, you, you full sailed. Oh, I full sailed. <laughs> you full sailed all the way through. Uh, so with that in mind, this is, of course, if you're new to the podcast, first and foremost, welcome. We hope you enjoy the show. Uh, if you're watching, we're enjoy it even more uh but if you're listening welcome as well uh we're gonna get into a few things today it's not a huge crazy time for the news uh you know we're in that kind of stranglehold the industry is in right up leading into the game awards which are just a couple of weeks away so while we wait for that we have a few small things to talk about like uh destiny 2 having some pushbacks after all the firing or laying off or however you want to say that uh that maybe somehow just Possibly, Kotor has survived uh, being thrown down a uh, you know shaft. But you know we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out uh, some other weird stuff like the PS Portal being tracked uh, sales wise as a console and how it's actually performing against the the competition when doing so, uh, as well as Bloober Team uh, sharing a non update on Silent Hill too. But before we get into any of that, we start the show off with a time honored tradition of. <clears throat> Uh, asking each other what we've been playing so that we can get an idea for what each other are playing. If we each maybe should jump into what the other one's playing, it gives you a chance to hopefully learn about something new uh, or to convince you to play something that maybe you weren't sure about jumping into. So, Chris, I like Hello. to always start with you. Um, <laughs> I I heard that you took on the fool's errand. Yeah. To make a clown of yourself <laughs> to Platinum Civilization Six, uh, would you like to explain to me how that's going? Um, I guess it's a matter of perspective because I haven't gotten a single trophy, but I'm having a lot of fun. So, so it's going great. <laughs> it's going great for that aspect. For the enjoying part of my video game pastime, it's been pretty good. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a great game. Um, the trophies are very specific. So that feels, that's going to be a challenge. That feels in line. Yeah. Like there's one trophy that's like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference where you have to have, you have to play as the United States. You have to get the city of New York. You have to put a sewer in the city of New York. And then you have to get the great artists, Michelangelo and Donatello. <laughs> I mean, okay. Like it thematically great. Actually going about it, 
a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of planning. Well, while we're on the uh, while we're on the topic of trophies, mm. I can go ahead and say that I beat Alan Wake two. And uh, my quick remark to kind of summarize my time with the game is that uh, I can absolutely understand why it's in the Game of the Year nominations list for multiple sites, not only the official Game Awards, um, but also to re- reiterate the statement that dude, the, the game is just so unique and bold and weird, and it it just celebrates the fact that it's willing to do something so different. So I want to talk a little bit more about Alan Wake too, but specifically what I want to talk about right now is uh, that I had mentioned I was probably going to go for the platinum, uh, mm-hmm. but there are missable trophies or uh, there are missable things. And since I do not play games following guides, I do not want to restart the game in order to platinum it. So that will be something that I do if I ever replay the game. But for now, I have decided to move on from it. And, uh, you know, it's okay, Chris. Get a hold of your emotions. No, that's totally reasonable. Preventable, but reasonable. No, I mean, I wouldn't want my first first playthrough to be with a guide either of Alan Wake, so. Oh, dude, there's no I don't and don't wrong. I actually got incredibly close for not following a god. Mm-hmm. That's actually kind of what bums me out because I'm like one uh I'm one of the commercials away from that trophy. I'm like um there's there's one of the writers room things that I'm missing uh, and they're all chapter bound. And you cannot even if you can go back to some of the areas, you can't get them outside of the chapters in which they proc. So it's That's weird. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a bold choice. I understand thematically probably why it's happening because a lot of the commercials are tied into the events of what's mm-hmm. happening around the world, while others, a few of them are more scene setting. But yeah, that's that's kind of where we are. Uh, but I guess quickly, I'll go ahead and wrap up Alan Wake 2 and then let you kind of get on because I'm, I'm curious about the next game on your list. Uh, I want to jump onto that eventually, but... Um, I've got good news, first of all. You haven't played Alan Wake 2 yet, right? I have not played Alan Wake 2 yet. So I can confirm that the Taken absolutely do still say batshit crazy things. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I was walking through the forest, and I genuinely can't even remember what was said because it was so outlandish that I didn't understand what the hell was being said. Like, it was goofy, (laughs) but it's just so hard to remember. So that's back. Um, But... Uh, you know, I'll save the rest of talking about it when we get to talking about the fact that they have announced uh, plans for their next game, uh, which is very easy to talk about. So um, with that in mind, Alan Wake 2 is very good. So uh, what's your next game there, buddy? Um, So I've been playing a little bit of Viewfinder, which is a first-person picture puzzle game, I guess is how I would describe it. Well... I'm not wrong in that this is the game where it's like a perspective thing, right? Like you can make something larger based on... I haven't gotten to that point yet. Basically, the mechanic I've gotten is you can pick up... So there's like the one of the first puzzles is a battery puzzle. And you put two batteries down and then you find a picture with a a battery in it. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the wrong game. I'm thinking of Superliminal. um, Oh, yes. Because it just hit PS Plus. Uh, Viewfinder is a different game. Continue. Sorry. Yeah. So you would find a gray picture of that same area with the battery in it, and you press L2 and R2, and then you can walk into the picture, get the old battery, go back out, 
and put it on. So solution and spoilers for the first puzzle of the game. But that's how you do it. So that's kind of the thing is you can go into old pictures. And I'm sure it expands beyond where I'm at. But yeah, it's pretty cool. I like so it. So are you actually using like a viewfinder? Like the old school red Not little? Not so far. It's ba- or is it? The pictures look like they're from a viewfinder, basically, and you find them around the environment so far. And then, yeah, so you walk into the picture. Man, dude, puzzle games have such interesting mechanic ideas. Yeah, it's cool. Because, like, Super Liminal, the game I was actually thinking about, is this idea where you use perspective to make certain items larger and smaller. And then you had that game that was a um, a launch window title. Uh, no, for PS5, even though The Witness was also an excellent puzzle game. But no, um, it was called Maquette, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. And it, too, was like this idea of the entire world was like the same level within our – how do I describe this? It basically was the entire world was like the same level inside of itself multiple times. And you could interact with this, the parts on the inside and bring things over and find a way to drop it in from the small scale. And you could turn around and look and the big scale version of it would be placed where you put it in the small scale version. Uh, and there was like a story tied to all this, but it was a really cool mechanic where it was just like, uh, you can find a key in this scale and you can drop it into this gap where a bridge was that got broken and it'll land there. And then whenever you go walk there yourself, you're walking across the key that you just placed in the small scale. It's a cool mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. That sounds neat. Yes. Um, yes, it's kind of the same thing. I'm not crazy far, but I do like it. It's on sale. At least it was on sale. So give it a shot. It's pretty fun. All right. Yeah. I imagine it's probably in a somewhat similar price range to what it is on Steam. I'm, I just found it. It's twenty four ninety nine on Steam. So yeah, uh, twenty five bucks. bucks uh, it was eighteen bucks on sale. So on sale. Well, that feels like a good way to go about it i kind of like that idea of um, puzzle games being a little more explorative with their pricing um i think i think maquette was one of those i think it may have been a day one ps plus uh game and i think that's like perfect for that type of service definitely as long as the people who make it are still you know getting the money so i'm very excited for talos principle too but i don't exactly know when i'll play it but i know i will play it for sure i love the first one so all right well what's next thing on your list um, I believe the last thing on my list is the same game it's been for months, which is uh, Baldur's <laughs> Gate 3. Um, I am almost done. I did some uh, interesting sex stuff recently, so that was a lot. But uh, yeah, it's been it's it's a great game. I fucking adore Baldur's Gate 3. Nice. Yeah, um, I, I booted it up for a bit when we had some friends over this weekend who had not seen the game, so yeah. I could show them uh, my infernal, my infernal queen, Ooh, as I'm calling her. That's hot. I mean, cool. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's hot. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to cool her, but you know, I would smash my character. It's fine. <laughs> Shot as fuck, and she's evil. It's sick. There you go. Nothing yeah, it's like, cool. I've uh, been, uh, nothing like hot evil chicks, right? Yeah, I'm uh, almost done. I think. I've finished some. I finished Asterian's quest. Um, Shadow Hearts has been done for a little bit, so uh, I'm just making my way through the end game, um, and then I'm going to start nice. another playthrough, do all my trophy stuff, and get the platinum, and then I'll be very happy and very tired. <laughs> all right, Donovan, if you're listening to this, as I know that you typically do, um, I need to. We need to play Baldur's Gate three. So there you go. I need to get yeah. back to it. There's been it's too good. many games. It's good. Is uh, okay. are you playing on any other games perchance? Perhaps an old one. 
Uh, not yet, Chris. Not yet. Um, He's been saying depends not on what yet you mean by old. Depends <laughs> on what you mean by old. So you know what I mean by old. It's first thing on, on my list, I I finished up Lives of P, mm. um, and still have to sing its praises as just a very good Souls game. I mean, it's uh, I know it's not a Souls game, and it does a lot of interesting things and uh, really carves out its own niche. But for the sake of talking about it, it's a Souls like game at heart. Um, I'm very interested to see what they do with the DLC and the sequel. Uh, you know, I have a hard time ever playing DLC, so uh, I'm hoping that the post credits uh, teaser is for the sequel and not the DLC. But I will try to play the DLC. It's just you know. So, without spoiling, obviously, I got spoiled on the ending, and the is full it, ending or just the post credit scene. I'm assuming just the post credit scene. Okay, is it as people say the best ending of the year? Uh, okay, so there's multiple endings depending on what you do. So that's, that's why I, I can't say too much. Okay. Um, the ending I chose is uh, uh, my hair fell out. A, a bit wild. I'll say that much. So yeah. uh, I do eventually want to do the new game plus so I can experience the alternate ending. Do you kill Mufasa in that game? Damn, dude. Twitter oh, just shit. ruins everything for everyone, doesn't it? <laughs> It really does. Yeah, so what happens is is that you climb this giant cliffside, right? Yeah. And after fighting all these different hyenas and eventually Scar at the end, oh. you take on the role of being able to choose whether or not you save Mufasa uh-huh. and, and bring him up so he can continue to rule his kingdom. Or if you take over the role of Scar and, uh, you know, take uh, the savannah dream and uh, maintain his role in it keeping it in slumber forever wow so okay there is a secret ending though where if you collect enough mammoth skulls mm-hmm. that you know the uh the, the presence, goldberg comes down and fights <laughs> you in the hyena voice <laughs> exactly that's it I'm, yeah i can't believe i got spoiled on so much of this game yeah i can't believe it either but um <laughs> what's so wild is I actually want to take a second to note just how glad I am that people are getting into games who are looking and going for IP that has been around forever and is no longer owned by anyone and can be made in any capacity, way, shape, or form. I think it's so interesting that someone was like, yeah, Pinocchio is like free to use and we don't have to pay (laughs) anything. And what if we just really told a interesting twist on the Pinocchio story. Yeah. And I think they did a really good job of that. So I am very interested to see what people continue to create as they're able to use IP old enough that they can, you know, approach it how they see fit. Cool, man. I'm glad you're enjoying it. No, yeah, for sure, man. Uh, But I did return to another game that I've yet to beat, and that's what I've been playing so far. So Hogwarts Legacy, I decided to go back to it without making a new character because I had a feeling that I would get uh, frustrated with having to redo things that I still remember enough of. And I think I made the right choice because while it took me a second to adjust back to the gameplay, um, for the most part, I remembered the story. And I've been able to kind of assimilate back into that without too much of a problem. And I'm having a good time. The game does have a charm about it. And it's an extremely well-made game. So I'm hoping that by the time I get done with it, that I kind of have um, a bit higher. Because I think I have a high opinion of the game already. 
but I hope it's even higher and can match what, uh, you know, all the love I see from other people. But I wonder if that's possible because I'm just, I wasn't a big Harry Potter fan prior to the game. Um, and I don't know how important that is to those people's view of the game. If it's tied into their love of the IP long-term, um, as someone who has like passively enjoyed the series across their life, it's not, it wasn't, you know, it's not some big thing to me. Um, but I'm having a good time with it. I do think it's a fun world. It's an easy idea to get lost into uh, mechanically and, and whatnot. So um, one thing I will say about that game, though, is uh, actually getting back to it and getting a little further in the main story. Mm-hmm. I think that the way, and I kind of had a feeling of this, but I think that at least from what I can see right now, the way that people were trying to minimize and boil the story elements down to uh, negatively look at the game uh, because of the controversial aspects of it um, outside of the content of the game, but they were trying to use some of the content of the game to fuel why you shouldn't get the game. Um, I think they've severely missed what the point of the story at hand is trying to do. And I think it was vastly misrepresented, uh, maybe not necessarily with intention for that. Maybe it was just still the idea of trying to spread this thing about why you shouldn't support it. But yeah, I think playing it, um, I would call it patently false when people were talking about the contents of the story and how it's, uh, it was all wrapped around what goblins are supposed to represent. And I don't subscribe to that anyway, but we've talked about that in the past. But this idea of what goblins are supposed to represent and then what the story is supposed to be as you're supposed to be quashing this goblin rebellion, that is not that is boiling the story down to the most simple aspects. And I don't think that it does a remotely fair job of representing what the game is trying to do or what the Mm -hmm. narrative is trying to push forward um, at all. (laughs) (laughs) so it's unfortunate that that's uh, i I hope that no one didn't get it because of something as simple as that but who am i to to be a fool someone was like yeah i'm not gonna get it because apparently this means this you know it's okay to think for yourself if if you don't think a goblin looks like a certain group of people or acts like a certain group of people or is supposed to be representative of a certain group of people then they're not I don't know how to say it other than that. <laughs> I feel like hot take. If you like, if you think orcs look like a certain race of people, I think you might be the problem. Personally, I've always thought that was such a weird idea to get into, but you know, I mean, people are allowed to have that opinion. I would just say that I don't go into high fantasy being like, "Yeah, I'm so glad that this is." coded i hate that that's the word for it too right. but you know it's oh I'm, I'm able to enjoy this thing that's coded putting something else down but that's not the way i view any of it so it's everything's about way. intent right chris exactly <laughs> um so anyway uh the it's going to be kind of weird i think we're going to front load the show Either if we keep if we keep the community's take where it would normally be, I think we'd front load the show. So, Chris, I propose that we move the community's take to the end of the show because I think it's really going to be the meat of the show. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of questions that are around it and a lot of responses around it, and it's going to be an in-depth talk. And that is this idea that's kind of been circling around the gaming web of we kind of brushed against a different version of the same idea when we were talking last week about whether or not there should be a uh, – as Chris kind of landed on this idea of like a new IP tax. Um, (laughs) 
And I think that was because it's using the terminology that's kind of going around. And the, of course, the idea is that something is either gets points taken off of it for not being something or gets points added to it for being something. One way or the other, it's uh, the idea of how mm-hmm. this works. Uh, so we'll get into that. And I'm very interested to see. I, I, I skimmed a couple of the responses and I find them to be very interesting. And I know we have a lot of listeners who are um, more Xbox focused than PlayStation, which I mean, I'm happy to hear. I think it means we're doing a good job of not just, you know, praising every single thing that Sony does or bashing everything, every single thing that the competition does. Cause right. uh, the reality in this, in this environment is that all three major players clearly do things right often enough to still be successful in the market. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. That's just generally right. how it's going to work. So we'll get into that in a little bit, but let's go ahead and start off the news um, with probably the first interesting thing, considering the way things have been lately. So Destiny 2's Final Shape expansion has been delayed to June of next year, and a message posted by the Destiny 2 dev team on their website, they detailed the reason for the delay, which amounts to wanting to polish and make it the best it can be as they prepare to move on from Destiny 2. They also announced an Into the Light update, which aims to bring newcomers up to par with veteran Guardians. Season of the Witch will run from yesterday, November 28th, so of course the day that we're actually recording this, to February. But the team is planning on adding content between this season's end and Final Shape's release. This also lends credence to the reports that Bungie's next game, Marathon, is delayed into a 2025 release date, but this blog made no mention of it. Um... I have a really big question here, Chris. With Destiny 2 reaching um, what we're going to call end of life, at least the way that they're talking about it, Mm -hmm. what do you think that means for both Bungie as as who they are on their own, but also why Sony bought them? Do you think that part of why they were so eager to sell was because they knew Destiny 2 had to come to an end eventually? And that that means they needed something to be able to support them once the revenue stream from a game like Destiny 2 takes a hit whenever it's still supported in terms of gets general updates to make sure that it runs correctly. And you can still log in and play the game and buy things on the game. And I'm sure it will still see store refreshes here and there. But once it stops getting new content at a, you know, at a real rate, um, what do you think's going on there? I mean, do you think Marathon is just going to take place of that? Do you think the, the idea is that Marathon will be the same type of game and will hopefully see the same type of success? Because I'd say at this point, Bungie's income is very heavily tied to the games as a service model. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's clear. Um, I'm not sure because we kind of talked about last week how in a lot of ways, Sony saved Bungie. So I think that might have been why they were desperate to sell is that they knew they weren't hitting their marks anymore. But I also think there is, we've talked about it before, there's a lot of synergy between Bungie and PlayStation and Destiny for movies, TV, that kind of stuff. So I think it's leveraging Bungie as a company to help their other studios getting the revenue from Marathon, which I'm sure they saw. So they're probably like, yo, this is probably going to be sick. Plus, you guys know what you're doing. And then, um, yeah, so I would think it's that. And then who knows? Maybe they want the movies or maybe there's going to be a Destiny 3 
who knows? I mean, there's probably going to be a Destiny 3. <laughs> I would so, imagine. That was actually my other thing is, is Marathon really going, it'll probably be their next game. I think that's a fair assumption at this point. Yeah. But how long until we go to Destiny 3? The one thing that'll be interesting is that this will be the first time that, uh, and over a decade at this point, that the next game from Bungie will not just be the next game that's taking place of the game before. Like we had Destiny 2 superseding Destiny 1 with with the hope to be to move most of the player base from D1 to D2. And we're not going to be seeing that as an immediate, it it at least looks like at this particular point right now. Um, But that's, I'm also a little surprised because they seem to be leaning into that MMO nature a lot more once they got free of Activision, who seemed to not want them to use that terminology. But an MMO would not an MMO, an, MMO, an MMO would not end. That was a, yeah, it got me. <laughs> an MMO is not typically going to end like this. They'll just continue to push it forward and have a new expansion. So I have a couple of ideas. Like, is Destiny Two really going to be reaching end of service, or is Destiny Two's final expansion going to be the final shape, and then they're going to rename the product Destiny or Destiny Three? But you're not actually doing anything. You're still playing the same game, and they just shift the storyline and maybe release a very big update that completely changes the way the game works. But it's still on that same platform, kind of like you see with World of Warcraft's new expansions. It's like arguably. You can't call the newest World of Warcraft expansion anything like the first. They have fundamentally completely changed the game, even though it's kept its same platform for 20, you know, 23 years or whatever. Yeah. 20 years, I guess, at this point. Um, I'm sure that Destiny will always get support. I wouldn't be surprised if there were like small episodes or whatever, but I wouldn't bet on a Destiny 2, the final shape again. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'll be, I think they've talked about it where they'll do like little episodes and little stories, but I don't think it'll ever be this. We're never going to have a final shape or a light fall or a beyond light, at least not for this game. So, well, you know, for me, I think about it and this is more viewing myself in the position of working for them that I would be so tired of destiny at this point <laughs> right. from a content creation standpoint, which of course they shuffle people in and out as needed. But for people who are really trying to have that be their career place, <clears throat> I'm sure there's a want to move away from destiny for a bit, if not, if not permanently. Yeah. Take um, a break. But moving away from profitable IP is hard. I mean, there's a reason that blizzard has been making world of Warcraft for 20 years. And that's because world of Warcraft brings in money, even when it was at its controversial worst, it was still doing well, you know? So it's, and we're still getting more of uh, world of Warcraft. So it is going to be interesting if this is the first time we see a game of that scale scope and size, literally be put down and be like, eventually we'll come back with something else or something different that uses the same model, but we're not just going to be a destiny farm for 10 more years. Right. And that's a weird thought, you know? Yeah. I'm interested to find out. I don't know. They haven't provided a ton of clarity on the topic, so yeah, it's kind of nebulous. We'll, we'll learn in time and I'm sure that's on purpose, right? Cause the least, the less that they say, the more flexibility they have. Yeah. And I'm sure and Sony's aware of that. So it's, it's that, a, but I'm sure if they were like, listen, destiny's done, I would bet a lot of people would be like, okay, well then I'm done. I don't need to get the final shape. If there's nothing to see here, you know, there's enough people who want to see the story out, <clears> but 
I don't know, man. I'm but there's sure. also people who won't want to dedicate time if it means that there's yeah. not going to be anything after. Exactly, which is weird because, again, for me, it's like, oh, well, it's ending, you know? That would be the time to jump in. Like, right. I would be – I've already – I've always said I'm, I'm likely to go back to Final Shape just to see the story through because I do think that the narrative there is occasionally good. And it does some interesting stuff. Um, it's the it's the rest of the keep trying to keep me playing all year long content that just starts to irk me. Um, but so I'd be far more phone. likely. I think I could probably not, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> um, I saw that you. I mean, I have access to it. You, you do have weirdo. access to Lightfall. Um, but with that in mind, I think it's important to note that for me. If they actually said, like, hey, this is the end of Destiny, uh, I would be way more likely to be like, I'm going to go, I'm playing this for sure. Because then it feels like you're playing something for real. Like you're actually reaching, excuse me, you're reaching a conclusion, which I think Destiny and most games' problems that are like that is that they never feel like they're really reaching a climax because you can't actually climax the story without ruining the potential to keep making money off of it mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a mixed back and forth kind of thing but uh any final thoughts about uh bungie and the state of everything this is all interesting coming off the the back of a bunch of layoffs yeah it's it's interesting i don't know i'm gonna i'm planning on playing a little bit of destiny so we'll see if i get into it and start playing it <clears throat> yeah we'll see all right next thing up on the list last week we may have uh mentioned uh, a little Early, if we were to believe Mr. Jason Schreier, somehow, Knights of the Old Republic remake has returned. While Jeff Grubb had mentioned that Sony had pulled out of the game and was no longer bankrolling the remake, Jason Schreier has risen like Maul to say that the delay was not the news that Saber Interactive was looking for. And while he doesn't know that the game will ever see the light of day, the developer confirmed to him that it is still being actively worked on. So... Who knows? Yeah, I guess it's kind of in the balance. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was good. Yeah. That was yeah. <laughs> I didn't even catch it at first. Yeah, it's in the balance. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton to say. We said, kind of said my piece last week. I hope it comes out. I'll play it if it does. The game doesn't exist. I don't care. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think uh, it just goes to show the calculated risk that you take when you announce anything. Uh, but the earlier you announce it, the more that risk becomes hard to calculate. And you run the risk of being like, look at this thing you can only play on PlayStation just to have that kind of blow up in your face, which I think it's impossible to argue that if this never comes out that someone's not looking like, oh, that kind of sucks. Like this thing you touted didn't come. I mean, people still talk about Agent. Right. And that was on PS3 because you touted it as a PS3 exclusive that never came. So I'd certainly still like to see the agent bring it back. Why not? I know the answer. Yeah, me too. Well, Financially, yeah. it only makes sense to make Red Dead and Grand Theft Auto games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's true. Sadly, but you know, whatever. I guess those two games make the most sense for them to employ the most people. Let's put it that way. I agree. Yeah. They're the titles that are most likely to make the publishers happy and to continue to give a lot of people jobs and income who are in the industry. So you take the good, you take the bad, <laughs> some shit about the facts of life. Um, 
anything the, happen. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, games that are at the very least a good ways out, uh, Remedy have announced that 505 Games and themselves have signed an agreement for co-developing and co-publishing of Control 2. And this is considered to be a big budget control game, whereas the first game was a bigger risk for 505. It was not necessarily a bigger budget game as Remedy was one day hoping for. So, of course, this is where we are right now. It seems like the game is still in early stages. The fact that we know that Remedy are working on the Alan Wake, or not Alan Wake, but Max Payne 1 and 2 remake does mean that it's uncertain when exactly this title will start development, but it will be on their proprietary Northlight engine that they've used for the past two games, three games, I guess. Um, and will, of course, tie back into the world of both Control and Alan Wake, as has gone through. Um one of the things I wanted to talk about here and where I think I can bring up Alan Wake a little bit more is this idea, and I touched on it last week, but I really think there's something to be said that Alan Wake 2 is a fairly large game at a fairly high level of quality in terms of being more AAA oriented from a studio that is independent. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I think what's important to note there is that making Alan Wake 2 from scratch in roughly four years is pretty good in this industry when you're dealing with a game that you have to figure out how to move forward from a product that had been 13 years ago. Like technically at the time you started working on it, it was a 10-year-old property basically, a little yeah. bit, not not quite, like a nine-year-old uh, property. But they also had to remaster Alan Wake 1 in order to you know drum up interest around it yet again. So where I think that comes into play is something I really wanted to note. One of the really interesting, bold, creative decisions that I'm a little surprised that we've not seen Kojima do in hindsight um, is their take on cutting parts of the game that do not need to be interactive and are just serving story purposes um, and filming them as mm-hmm. opposed to creating them in game. And I think it's a really smart way with the uh, games are getting close enough now that they look good enough, often enough. And a lot of the times characters models are being based around actors anyway, which means that filming actors can be a really great way, depending on exactly what it is that you're making. Alan Wake is horror but it's rooted in this very accessible idea of the Pacific Northwest where all you're going to see is like some stages here and there, a cabin interior here and there, and yeah. like, a, a you know, a, maybe some woods here and there. And of course, that means they get to be smart and go, why would we bother trying to animate these and cut these out and do performance capture for all this stuff in this game when we can just put the actors on a stage that looks like the environment, let them act it out, and then you'd go, well, they still, you still have to do all the stuff that goes with that. But the smart thing is, is that you can let the game people focus on the game and you can let the story people who want to cut this thing together, make it look a certain way, do the video editing. And you're cutting your work drastically. The more you can do it, the more you're cutting your work. And you also get a stylistic flair from it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm very curious to see how quickly a control two that leans even more into that ideology could potentially come to fruition Definitely if they have somebody co-developing it, which I thought was very interesting wording from 505 because 
I didn't really, I, I viewed them as a publisher, but what does co-developing mean from them? Yeah, I've had, I had that same thought, actually. Where I'm like, I don't know what this this all means when you say that. Yeah. But okay, cool. Yeah, I'm actually going to look real quick because I think it's worth looking at is, was the first control considered to be co-developed? And I don't think that they, I don't think it was. I don't think that that was the wording they used on it. But it was absolutely published by Five Hundred Five. Um, okay, so for sure can say that it was just remedy as far as the Wikipedia pages uh, given, which I think sounds right. And again, yeah. So Wikipedia shows co-developer Five Hundred Five Games. This is interesting. So I am curious. If it's being co-developed and they're not having to do it on their own, what are the chances that we see a remedy that's kind of hitting a little bit more of that insomniac pace where maybe we can get a game every two years or three years if they're working alongside some of their partners? That would be pretty cool. I would be super happy to get more remedy games. We don't get enough of them in today's industry. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How long, because I've really been wondering, with it being a remake but also that's getting reimagined in some ways from a um, how they tie the stories together standpoint. How long do you really expect for Max Payne? And more importantly, I guess, how far along through the Max Payne remakes do you even think they are? Are, oh, they, are, are they just starting in earnest? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think they're very far at all. <laughs> I, I don't really know how far, big Remedy but... is. I don't know. I don't know how many people they have on their team. I mean, they announced it, what, a year ago to start after yeah. Alan Wake? Yeah. So, I mean, it's probably, they're realistically, they're probably just starting, right? They yeah, I guess my be. real question is, I would imagine that there's at least been a team doing pre-production. Mm -hmm. And if pre-production can solve all the problems, which it sounds like they already have been working on that, right? The idea that, okay, it will be Alan Wake 1 and 2, but it'll be one game. Yeah. Oh, not Alan Wake, but you know Max Payne one and two, um, but it'll be one title, so it's going to cover the same events. But instead of trying to separate them, we'll just treat it as a single story. Mm -hmm. That's smart. So you have that figured out. And so if pre-production already kind of knows how they're going to handle reimagining environments for modern, you know, uh, modern modern hardware, and then reimagining certain gameplay aspects to feel smoother and more controlled on modern hardware. How quickly could something like that actually come together? And I've always been curious. I, I would love to actually sit down with someone who does, who works on remakes and who also has experience working on non-remake titles and like ask them how the process genuinely differs. Because uh, when you're going through the thought process, you look and you think you already have a, a story mapped out. You have all your characters worked out. You have character traits and character arcs worked out. You've got generally what the environments will be. And so mm. all you're doing on all those is just bringing them up to more modern standards. How difficult is that actually? And how much do you have to look and go, well, to bring it up to modern standards, it's either A, this easy, or B, this difficult because of how much you want to maintain what people remember about it and what it felt like while also making it great for new people and th what that process looks like. So I just, I would love to be able to interview, even if it's someone from uh, like Blue Point 
who, you know, Blue Point originally worked on like people from Blue Point originally worked on like original Metroid Prime and stuff. So yeah. some of those people would be really good at knowing the differences between remakes uh, that are ground up versus they are the king. They are the kings of remakes. I think it's hard to argue that <laughs> they're going to prove it with Bloodborne. It's going to be so cool. Though I'd argue, I think um, I think Capcom are really taking a step towards that direction with how they're handling the Resident Evils. Yeah, I could. That's fair. That's fair. And arguably, Motive and Dead Space—that is a killer remake. I guess the the market for remakes is really getting a lot of strong support, and we're seeing a lot of good players in that area. Yeah. So, give me more remedy. Uh, all right, next thing up is kind of an interesting one. Despite being essentially a companion device that has no ability to do anything on its own, the PlayStation Portal is being tracked as a console as far as sales numbers are, <laughs> are going. And while that is interesting, it's also interesting to note that in a very specific place, this is Spain, the PlayStation Portal has outsold the Xbox Series consoles. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> which is not the craziest thing. We're talking early days, a pre-ordered product where all the sales kind of hit at once and a lot of people had time to build up hype over it. But what do you think about this, Chris? Like, I don't necessarily know that I think that this should be... I talked about it last week. With it not having exclusives and its inability to do anything separate of the PlayStation 5, which, to be fair, the PSVR 2 can do nothing separate of PS5 as well. But there are games that can only be played on PSVR 2, so it makes sense to chart on its own. I don't know that I would have looked at this as a console. Uh, I mean, it's hard because that, I don't really see an issue with that, personally. Mm -hmm. It feels relatively right to me, but I can see the argument of, like this isn't really a console in the traditional sense. So I don't know. I'm not I don't have very many feelings on this matter whatsoever, honestly. Because I can see the argument for that being weird and wrong, and I can see the argument for like, yeah, that seems fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I think what it is is that there's not really another device like it in the market to even be able to compare. So I guess you kind of go towards that thing of like, if you're going to keep up with how well it's performing, where else would you categorize it with what yeah. we have in the market? And I, I guess that's fair. It's like, it is odd, but it's not the craziest thing. Like I'm, I'm kind of with you. I lean a little more toward it being odd to be on there. Okay. But I can see the logic completely as to why you would. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, um, I think the big thing to note here is that even though it did technically outsell series, this being a companion device, it's so cheap with a, a companion device for a system that's got, you know, 50 million sales, 55 million, wherever they said they were at. It makes sense this would be doing well because all the yeah. people who are interested are probably buying early. I will be more curious to see how this thing continues to track. And that'll be a much bigger indicator of how successful this product is, in my opinion. Looking mm -hmm. at, you know, first week, first month sales is not really going to be nearly as indicative as what it's doing in six months. So absolutely, we'll find out. I am getting on the portal train again this week. So we'll see what I do. Um, uh, you're going to try and get one? I'm debating it because as I've been playing Civ, I'm like, 
this would be really fucking good for the portal. Cause like the other day I was sitting at my TV and I was watching uh, the gray man and I was like, I kind of could see myself playing the portal right now. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, a game like Civ six is the perfect type of game for that. In my opinion, it is. I agree. So there's, there's a handful of games I can genuinely get behind playing on a device like that. That's definitely one of them. Even like Baldur's Gate 3 and the thing with the portal and part of the reason why I got I got an Ethernet cable for anyone who doesn't know is I've read that having it connected to an Ethernet cable makes it near flawless. Mm -hmm. So listen, if it's near flawless, because I don't know, man, like I the other day I was dead. It was dead at work and I was like taking a lunch break and I'm like, I could I could play a couple rounds of Civ right now. Like, what's the harm, you know? And that, that was yeah. where I'm like, oh, I wish I had the portal. But I didn't, and my life was fine. I played Civ and I got home. So it's one of those <laughs> up and down things, you know? Yeah, I think uh, going back to Baldur's Gate being perfect for it, I see what you mean on a gameplay level. It's like, it's the right speed of game. Like, anything that's turn-based is going to do better on it because your input lag is not really going to matter in any can, real way. So even if it's got a little bit more delay than you wished you're not going to notice it in any real way. But I have a, my thing with that is I always, you know, so I'm putting my own thoughts and, and kind of projecting them on other people. But I think about me, it's like Baldur's Gate three is a game where unless you're just replaying it and you already know all the story and whatever, and you're just playing it for gameplay, which maybe you are. I don't know that that's where I would try and play it because like I would be trying to be super into the story and the characters and what's going on because that's, I care about that in that game. Yeah. And I find a device like that to be harder. That's why I think as much as I love a lot of the Vita games, the best ones tended to really be ones that weren't super story heavy and instead gave you like, you know, 15, 20 seconds, maybe a minute of story, and then it'd go back to gameplay. And it's just like, cool, you can have a story that moves you along and you feel like this is a good motivator. Like Soul Sacrifice is a great example. Most of like 80% of what you're doing in that game is playing. And then you have like 20% story. And that works because you can pick it up and put it down really easy. But I think Baldur's Gate is like, I would almost argue Baldur's Gate is like 50-50 story in combat. <laughs> So can it's, be. It's, it, yeah, of course it depends on how you choose to approach it. But yeah, um, where I'm at now, I could easily get away with it because it's not it's story heavy, but it's a lot. I don't know. It's there's a lot more exploring in combat. Sure. Um, but especially for me, where I'm at, like to do a second playthrough while watching TV or something like that. Perfect. That's sense. perfect. Yeah, I get that one. I get that. Yeah. One. Yeah, I, I guess so, it's just that idea of I wouldn't want to be distracted by anything. So, like, even if I were playing Baldur's Gate 3 on there, I wouldn't be benefiting from having something else on the TV. So, realistically, for me, who doesn't have any other reason besides wanting to do both, I see no reason why I wouldn't just play Baldur's Gate 3 on my TV at that point. But for yeah. people who just generally who have to share a TV sometimes and may not get to play otherwise, and they just slap on the portal and put a headphone in, I get it. Like, if it's if it's a means yeah. to the end of getting to play more games, that's cool. It's just yeah, I mean, I'm at, I'm at this point in my me. life where, um, as people who watch this video, is I'm a very large clown. I'm listening. Clown. i got to let a cat out. I didn't realize he was a Okay. Uh, I'm a very large clown. So I've been debating like getting it, and then my parents have a pretty good treadmill upstairs, and just fucking hour or two, just walk and play something on the portal. There's a lot of... Uh, I'm talking myself into it very quickly, which... 
I guess it's typical of me, but it, it's like I'm getting. I went from eh, I don't think so to I. I'm looking. Is it in stock? If it's in stock, I'll buy it. It's kind of like how I was with my Switch OLED, where I was like, "Oh fuck, that's in stock," and I just bought one. You know, that's how yeah. it's going to be with the portal. Yeah, I can see that. There's definitely benefits to it, and if you're playing certain games, like it sucks. Some of the games I see it being perfect for, the latency starts to matter a lot. Like I might revisit Hades if I could play the majority yeah. of a run on there, because yeah. when it gets to the story heavy part, I can do whatever I want. I can either choose to focus on it for a second on there not be distracted or just pick the game back up on the on my TV like my actual yeah. TV if I, if I want to but Hades is also the kind of game where a split second delay may fuck it all up yeah well again if it's hardwired from everything I've seen and read there's almost no latency the people who have latency are people who aren't hardwired in so yeah we'll see yeah well uh, when you inevitably get one as I know you will, <laughs> will you'll have to you'll have to let everybody know what you think about it I definitely will do that. All right. Next piece of news here. Bloober team has no updates on Silent Hill 2 and ask for patience. Of course, I'm assuming this is coming off the back of everyone assuming the game was going to get a release date announcement because of the fact that it hit the ability to be pre-ordered. But they say that when Konami has news to share, they will share it. And the team is confident the wait will be worth it. They are working to give the game the best quality they can get from it. Um, and with that in mind, they are not in control of any piece of news update mm-hmm. that is all on the back of Konami. So while you may want to hear it, you got to wait for Konami's own little speeds. Yeah, so, y'all just be happy you're getting the game. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I still I, I'm a little I'm, I'm happy I chose to play. Um, uh, Lord, what is the name of that game? How am Silent, I forgetting it now? Silent Hill 2. The Medium. The Medium. The Medium. Thank you. What a goddamn game. I'm glad I decided to play it because where it shines versus where it doesn't shine, <laughs> I think with the right group of people behind them, the right amount of funding behind it, I think that they have a chance of doing this. More so than I initially thought when they first announced it. But I am still skeptical. It's like I'm cautiously optimistic is the best way to word it. Yeah. Um, because I think that they have a nugget of understanding of how to do these things. And I think with enough budget and ability to be like, oh, we're doing this once someone else is dime, so we don't have to worry about putting it out so that we make money to keep ourselves afloat. It's a good setup. We'll see it how is. things end up turning out. But um, for now, enjoy all the other Silent Hill content that's, uh, that's coming out. Yeah, so much of it. I heard it's not very good, though. I haven't watched it, so I don't know. I haven't <laughs> And either. I don't know how to describe that. Because I say watch it, but it's also interactive Yeah. <laughs> it's like that, uh, what was it, Bandersnatch or whatever? See, I didn't know if I took it as that. From what I was reading, I wasn't sure if it was something where it's like Bandersnatch where you make a decision and it just plays the other decision, which is a lot more like what you get from like Heavy Rain or, you know, whatever it be. Uh, or Goosebumps I guess even like a Telltale game. Yeah. But more importantly, I thought it was something more like if you're watching as they release that you as a community have a chance to vote on certain things that happen. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just not understanding what I was what I was looking at. So yeah, I have to try it because isn't it part of the uh, PlayStation Plus Sony Pictures Core thing? 
<laughs> I think so. I think so too. Oh, Chris, by the way. Oh, Brett. This is very important for me to announce. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the most gamer things you're ever going to hear me say, so I hope you're ready for it. You're drinking fucking Prime? <laughs> Bro, I'm I'm drinking Citrus Cherry Game Fuel. Hell, the original yes, 2007 are. flavor for Halo 3 that they have reproduced for Halo Infinite. I don't give a shit about the Halo Infinite of all. I mean, Halo Infinite was fun when we were playing it, but it was fun. It, t- it tastes exactly how I remember. <laughs> it tastes like your childhood. And it is in stores for a while as a limited thing. They're hopefully start doing again every year. <laughs> uh, there is another new flavor, which is Mystic Punch, uh, which is gives you rewards for Diablo 4 if that's your bag. So... If you have fond memories of Game Fuel from way back when, uh, I urge you to go out and uh, get a get a case of nostalgia. You know get what I'm saying? Some gamer fuel. Bag of Doritos, some Game Fuel. You got this. Yeah, can't be mad. Just don't at touch that. my fucking controller. <laughs> <laughs> your Dorito hands. All right, we got one more thing we're gonna talk about before we get into the uh, the thick of it. But Sony has announced a few partnerships that should interest PlayStation fans. First, Shift Up developers behind the action game Stellar Blade announced that they have signed with Sony in a second-party capacity, with Sony publishing and most likely owning the IP, which has been the case for many of Sony's deals like this, including with developer Quantic Dream and From Software for Demon's Souls and Bloodborne. Next... Sony and NCSoft, who are the developers for Guild Wars 2 and multiple other MMOs like it, announced their strategic partnership to bring PlayStation, quote, beyond console. The long-rumored Horizon MMO was pegged as coming out of NCSoft, which makes sense. So it would seem this is a bit of a canary in the coal mine. Um, But the real curiosity here is what other PlayStation games might this partnership actually entail or is this strictly a a veil for it the horizon mmo um and the first thing that went to my mind is like what other ip do sony have that seems ripe for mmo treatment you got any ideas infamous city of heroes style mmo yeah why not infamous um you know what her look as much as I've talked shit about Horizon, Horizon does make a ton of sense. But honestly, Resistance. <laughs> Dude, I actually was about to say Resistance in the style of Destiny. Yeah. Or oh Warframe. God. Give it to Bungie. <laughs> or just be like, hey, uh, what is that? D3? Whatever the, the developers behind Warframe? Yeah. Like, hey, do, y- do y'all want to have a splinter crew that breaks off and makes a resistance MMO? Here's the thing. I don't actually know that I want to see resistance go into an MMO, but for general use of, usage of IP, I see the potential for it, and I, I would be, be cool. excited for it to you just know, come back at all. <laughs> hub states and stuff like that. Although, again, maybe this is a very typical me answer, but like, is Days Gone not a great, great IP for an MMO? Well, it's funny that you bring that up because that was one of the first games that kind of rolled through my head as like, it, it was kind of a mix of things. It was like, okay, what games would Sony look at for MMO use versus what what IP do Sony own that they don't have anything else to do with right now? And I yeah. thought, well, Days Gone fits the role of an IP that probably isn't being used. 
but it Except was for a fucking movie. It did have a lot of players. Yeah. And a lot of people bought it. So it does mean that the IP has the ability to move something if you do the right thing with the product. And so I thought, where would you go with an I with like an MMO concept from there? But that's where I struggle is like, what kind of MMO is it? Is it a, is it more along it's, the lines of doing something like an MMO version of like what Ghost Recon Breakpoint and stuff was doing? Maybe I or, guess in the end for me, maybe like the division. An MMO is probably not even the answer. Where I would think a, a great Days Gone for me would be kind of the vision of The Last of Us factions that I had, where it's an escape from Tarkov style game. That's the gameplay, and then those supplies you use to build up a base and ha- help survivors and all this kind of stuff. You know, sure. Mix like a Fallout shelter with an escape from Tarkov, and I'm so in. Yeah, no, I think that's a cool idea. Uh, I I think my thing there is always, how do you go about weaving the story into that in a way that feels story, I don't want to say heavy, but where the emphasis is on the story, but is also allowing enough room for the gameplay to still be keen. Because that's what would have to be in that type of game. Yeah, And so I was always really curious and was hoping that by now we'd find out how Naughty Dog had attempted to do that. Because they were talking about how story was not going to be a backseat thing for factions. It was going to be something that played a big part in it. And immediately I was like, I want to know how that looks. But that also depends on how actual gameplay design and map design and what modes are happening in a factions two or whatever you want to call it would have looked like this well, and unfortunately we just, we don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry, I know I distracted you, but I just thought of the game I didn't put in my what what we've been playing that I've spent most of my week playing, and I'm like I'm an idiot, and I just had that realization right now. So, anyway. oh Lord, what is it? You got you, know, you got to fill us in now. I'm like almost done with High on Life. <laughs> oh, I did see that you've been playing that. Has your opinion on it turned around? I saw that you said you thought it was very fun. Oh, I think it's incredibly fun. I think Justin Roiland is terrible. <laughs> it has, uh, I don't know that you played it, so you may not be able to confirm this, but I was always kind of liking that the gunplay and the way that the world kind of comes together seemed like they were kind of taking notes from Oddworld uh, Stranger's Wrath. A little bit. And if you've not played that, if you're listening to this or Chris, either one, if you've not played it, it's worth at least looking at it. it, it it's first person and it's a shooter, but it chooses to do a lot of very interesting things within that framework that yeah. very few games have done since. Um, yeah, it's. I recommend. I recommend playing it because playing it is fun. And honestly, there have been several parts where I've just been full on laughing. Sure, but. I don't understand the humor. I don't understand why, like, oh, God, buddy, uh, we, we just killed that guy. Uh, 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 real murderers now. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, 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 I'm a gun. I don't fucking get it. It's not funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Blake kind of spoke to my sensibilities on it. And I say this not to offend anyone who still absolutely adores it. But um, I thought Rick and Morty season one was incredible. Mm-hmm. And I thought Rick and Morty season two was incredible. And I thought season three was very good. Yeah. And I have never fallen off of a show as quickly as I did with season four <laughs> on that show where it it wasn't ever just awful, but it just kept getting less interesting. And they were leaning more and more kind of like how 
you know the, the, how they talk about things being flanderized, where if it's if it lasts long enough, they start to lean on something too much with uh-huh. characters. But they can do that with a whole show, right? Yeah. And the whole show just kind of started to devolve into this very recognizable pattern where it's like the reason I really don't like Family Guy and conversely why I tend to like South Park is that I don't feel like South Park has landed on a crutch of every time you watch an episode, you kind of know the exact cadence and flow of what's going to happen. But every time I watched anything past the early seasons of Family Guy, you're kind of like... Peter's going to say something dumb. There's going to be a flashback to a completely nonsensical thing. And then they're going to try and tell a story moving forward while still cutting back to these sense. Like you kind of understand the flow of what to expect from the show. Yeah. And it takes away the joy of watching it. Cause you're kind of just like, I expect it. Right. Uh, yeah. And you, you run that risk with anything that you continue to create for too long because it's like what tends to, keep you engaged is a sense of not knowing what's coming next. Um, And so once you start making that too obvious, and I just feel like Justin Roiland's comedy was good when it was unique and novel and new. Mm -hmm. Then they started leaning on it way too much, both in the show and even in his own products. Because like I played Accounting Plus for PSVR and it was hilarious. I loved it. Yeah. But it's hard to separate whether that was a time and place because I was still relatively a fan of him. Or if it's because it wasn't the worst version of it yet and it just continued to get there. I haven't played High on Life, so this is going strictly off of what the uh, premise was and how I saw trailers. I mean, premise idea, which it looks like your gun's actually a dildo and you're probably on drugs because the name, I won't say too much, but (laughs) clearly that seems to be the case. I could find the game to be great. But I don't know. I, For I the record, you're it. just you're wrong. You're entirely wrong. So I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad <laughs> to hear it because I'm pretty sure I remember them talking about the gun being a dildo. Oh yeah, so, I don't know. But watch me be right, <laughs> and that's just the end of the game to where fair, it all clicks like together. I, you, you know, did, what it is? I have not finished it, but the high part is a reference to something else, which is interesting enough. Because that's the thing with this game. There are, like I've said, parts that had me belly laughing. There was one point where I legit put the controller down because I was laughing. But it's just like the gun. The first gun you get, I think his name is Rick. Of Fucking of course. No, Roger. Um, his name is Roger. And he's not funny. But like, there's another one you get named Creature. And <laughs> he shoots these little things that you can like take over enemies and stuff like this. Sure. And he, he had this one line where he's like, Oh yeah, those are my kids. Uh, they don't live very long. It's very depressing. And I, was like, <laughs> I just started fucking laughing. I'm like, that's so fucked up and funny. But then yeah. the, the guy just does Morty. The other gun just does Morty for 20 minutes and he doesn't stop talking. Yeah. It's like, dude, leave me alone. Even when I'm trying to kill random civilians, it's like, Oh, we're, we're not we're not murderers like that yet, are we? And I'm like, well, you're the one who won't let me shoot. So clearly I am a murderer. So like can we just move on with this? But yeah, I think gameplay was uh, fantastic. I saw that they added a thing to where you can actually change the frequency at which the guns communicate. Yeah, I think so. But it's which not became very long. a big thing because Forspoken did the same thing, right? Just in case yeah. you hate Cuff and Frey uh talking, you can turn it Shut completely it down. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird that conceit, was, I think. I, Though I actually really like that because if you're going to make that, there is a chance that a lot of communication between a main character and a support character, definitely one that's not a real character, like a cuff or like a gun, where it's kind of like a, 
it's almost like a prop character in a way. Like it doesn't mean that it can't have real arcs and real stuff, but it's like, it's not a physical person that you see the people interacting with. You run the risk of annoying people with it. So the ability to turn down the frequency and only have it be when it's specifically story important stuff is useful. You know what I mean? Yeah. So as people generally say, more options is not a bad thing. Uh, so that is the, uh, that's the end of the news. I uh, didn't really have much <laughs> else to talk about there. So we're going to go into the, uh, the community's take slash main topic. And I want to keep a couple of things kind of in mind around uh, all of this. Cause we do have some different questions and stuff that are um, kind of built up around a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about here. But quickly before we do, I want to uh, double check and make sure that, okay, yeah, that's what I thought. So what I want to do is start the, before we get into that, do one question that um, brushes up against some stuff, but is not quite about that. Chris's dogs are on the hunt. Yeah, yeah, great. It's lovely. They're they're looking for a red ball spherical shaped thing with a hole cut in one end. So, uh-oh, the ghost of Chris's house is back. <laughs> They're coming. Chris is going to be eaten. What do we do? Save the show. Um, Rude Days 93, longtime listener, longtime uh, patron of the show. He says, all right, since this is, <laughs> since this is going to be looking like a fiery episode, I'll ask it. Stellar Blade was at first announced as a PC, Xbox, PlayStation game later to be announced as a PS5 exclusive. Do you think that if Xbox did the same thing Sony just did and made Stellar Blade an Xbox exclusive, that there would be a lot more articles talking about it? Now, while this is not completely in spirit of what we're talking about with the Xbox uh, tax, I do think it brings in a crux of one of the core elements of the idea of the Xbox tax to begin with. And it's this idea that uh, the media, and this is a really important thing to note here, uh, Rude Days, I'm not saying this is what you said, and I think that there's probably a lot more nuance in your version of the question because I'm familiar with you. But I think a lot of the times, one of the really important things to say is that there is a difference between actual media who still try to play into clickbaity titles and things like that in order to get engagement but also there's a difference between them and downright fanboy places that are meant to service a specific side of the console war, which fuels way more engagement. And so I do want to say when we're talking about this and this idea of there being a lot more articles about it, had it been a Sony thing, um, one thing I want to note, and this is kind of going to be the start of my answer, is that by way of being the more predominant person in the market, Sony has more fans. When you have more fans, even if the same percentage of fans are super hyper mega fans that are, you know, potentially toxic, that reflects in what looks to be a higher number of them when in reality it is a higher number, but it's proportional to the fan base probably in a similar way. Um, And so it's very easy for it to look like 
that there are a bunch of articles about Sony things because there are people who are fanatics for Sony who are going and making websites that are made to be for fanatics of Sony to drive engagement to them and will put these types of articles out. But if we remove them and we go instead more to the traditional gaming media, which also has a bunch of problems, I think my answer is no. I don't think that there would be more or less because of the shift of perspective of who it is. Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, um, I'm not sure. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't, I don't know because this is one of those weird instances where it's weird that that happened, but I'm f- I I was just looking for a whole different news article and I just read six of them talking about how upset Xbox players were. So I'm not entirely sure why there's this notion that there weren't articles written about this. Well, I think he's saying I get what you mean. I get what you mean, but I think they're saying the flip side of for a lot of PlayStation stuff, this is being looked at in a more positive light than he perceives it to potentially be done had it been Xbox. And that there would have been a lot more articles, but the articles would have been more naysaying Xbox for taking something from a general market. Um, yeah, but I don't with that know idea, that if that is what he thinks, I don't think that's true either. It's it, it, it's it's not true because a lot. Yes, there was a lot of conversation during. Bethesda and during Activision of is this going to be exclusive? Is this going to be exclusive? But the two factors in that are right. Nobody had ever bought a publisher before like that. And the other factor is all of these games have history on PlayStation, right? And the big thing that was being asked was, are you taking these games away? You know? So, but I think the difference here is this is a new IP it's a, a new. De- it's a first game from a developer outside of a mobile game they did. This isn't, you know, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Shadow of the Tomb Raider was egregious, and I think that's the thing. As I think, a lot of Xbox people are holding up. Well, it wasn't okay here, but it's okay here. And this, the second game of a trilogy is not the same thing as Final Fantasy 16 and it's not the same game thing as Cellar Blade. So I think it's holding up two different things and saying, well look, there's this bias when you don't take into into the context into con you know you don't listen to the context. I'm sorry. Um sure. you know that that is important and I know it's it's uh that's basically the video game equivalent of like oh well let's wait to see all the evidence. But it's it's true though, and you have to look at the context on things. You know, there's even yeah. nuanced context of yeah, they took away Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy sixteen, but none of those are the finisher to a trilogy, or right? the middle or, or game, the middle, of, or middle game. Or, yeah, the, those two games are not connected. You know, and everybody knows this inherently, but they're like, well, they're taking sequels. Ah, uh, the ghost of Chris's house. You saw that, right? <laughs> I heard something. I didn't see anything. The fucking light just ripped off my goddamn bookshelf. And my dogs are freaking out. I don't, I'm not, this is a. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 
Oh man, if this is how you, if you die looking like this, Chris. If I die looking like this, I would kill myself. Uh, <laughs> you get my point though. It's not it's it's two different levels of thing. If you Look, I, I clearly I do. I understand exactly where you're coming from because I, I think it also comes down to the root of what this is. Stellar Blade is a much uh it's a much smaller product from a recently blooming gaming market that's trying to get going, get off the ground. Sony's been supporting elsewhere. And we've already heard that part of the reason that this even kind of got in the works is because Sony had to step in and help them uh, by giving them a bunch of computers or equipment or whatever it was in order to even continue working on the game at one point. Um, so I, I consider this akin to when Sony stepped in uh, in No Man's Sky, whenever No Man's Sky lost the majority of its progress of development uh, because of the flood that happened. Mm-hmm. And Sony came in and said, you know, here's a bunch of new equipment and we're, we're kind of front-running the game. We're going to champion it. And it becomes a thing of where at some point there's a difference of a game just not happening at all without someone else's ability and resources being able to be funneled in. And while it may still be unfortunate, you can go, well, it sucks that it's being exclusive for this long or for this long. Cause as we know, no man's sky was console exclusive for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that happen elsewhere. We've seen other people come in and be like, Hey, you know, we'll help kind of front roll you and get this going, but we want a little bit of console exclusivity. And it's a battle of resources, meeting people without the resources that might be necessary. So in the case of this game, uh, does it suck that it got announced as one thing and changed? Absolutely. It does. Is it the same thing as worrying about whether this game uh, from a very small studio, that is new and that has no history in gaming whatsoever at all has suddenly become exclusive when it likely wouldn't have happened at all without this, you know, the step in and this uh, partnership. Yeah. It's a lot different. It's not the same as saying like, well, okay, every, every game that Bethesda softworks has put out to this point has been multi-platform once they took the dive across you know, console, you know, from PS3, 360 onwards, there's an expectation that if Bethesda Softworks is making a game, it's going to be available on every console or whatever it be, or Call of Duty, one of the biggest, you know, the IPs in the world, um, and definitely one of the biggest game things in the world going, okay, does that mean this is going to be exclusive? And I think to that point, you know, a lot of people keep talking about how Sony should buy Take Two. And I think a completely reasonable question, should that series of events come to fruition, would be, okay, guys, is Grand Theft Auto going to be also on Xbox still? And I think it's a good question that begs getting asked. Yeah, and I wouldn't... And I, I think I you would see just as much fervor over Grand Theft Auto. Uh, yeah, absolutely, you would. Yeah. You know? And just like with Bethesda, you would see Sony fanboys doing the whole, eh, you can't get it here, you know, the... PS5, GTA 6, and Xbox is a black screen. You would get all of that stuff because that's what happened on the other side. This is the heart of the console war, I guess. Well, what it is is that these are actions that cause the console war's loudest people to come about. That's what it is. That's why I say I think from a from people who are more official news, and I don't I say that knowing that I have a strong distrust of a lot of gaming media, uh, gaming journalists, even the ones that are from more verified sources, because we can't forget that Kotaku, um, one of you know a long running voice in the games news industry, put out a review of the PS5 that criticized 
the socio-political <laughs> standing of the world while Sony chose to release a console, which is just such an odd thing to do. Um, but, you know, more power to them. But point being is that there is plenty of reason not to trust the main media, too. But I think that the majority of what you're hearing is happening there. Uh, before we go too deep into this, I want to go ahead so I don't forget it more than anything, if you'll indulge me. Uh, there's a question that's almost completely separate from all this. Actually, it is. Uh, and it's from a long-time listener, long-time friend of the show. Okay, you're good. Um, anyway, it's from Derek, so uh, one of our patrons. He says, question. After hearing your list of upcoming games, it surprised me how many are still PS4 games. When, if ever, will Sony finally shut the door on PS4? The PS5 was released on November 12th, 2020. Some overlap is to be expected, but we are now at three years in and new PS4 releases still. I wish, I'm not sure if I know what he means by upcoming games. I wish I knew what he was referencing. I probably should have asked him. But the core of the question remains the same. With there being a PS5 out for this period of time, when will we really see Sony shut the door on PS4? And I'm I'm of two minds here. I'm of the mindset of the fan and the hyper fan who wants to see things get pushed as hard as they can get. And that's the side of me that agrees. Shut this down. The overlap was to be expected, definitely considering everything going on and how hard it was to get the console. All that seems to be over. When can we shut down the PS4? But the side of me that looks at what Sony wants PlayStation to be, and that PlayStation is their breadwinning earner as all of their companies go, it is not financially viable to look at a install base of 130 million units and just turn your back on it if you have a game that can reasonably be made to run on that console. And that's why a lot of developers, uh, both inside of Sony's first party and outside of Sony's first party and more third party uh, developers are still supporting PS4. Whether or not we like it, it's because financially speaking, we're probably just now approaching the needed amount of consoles in order to turn that tide and for them to go while 130 million units is a really big potential audience. We have a big enough audience here that we can justify not having to spend the extra money to try and get it working on the previous system. We don't have a lot of precedent here. Um, The closest precedent we have PS3 was a lot more rocky. PS5 is very successful. So really the closest analog we have to this is PS1 to PS2 because PS1 was a massive success and then PS2 was also a massive success. And while there wasn't a ton of crossover between games, the PS1 was supported until about 2005. The PlayStation 3 was, or the PlayStation 2 was supported until about 2011 or 12. All that to say, if you sell a system that sells millions of units, there is a reason you want to continue to squeeze as much lemon juice as you can get out of that damn lemon. What are your thoughts on PS4 still being supported this far into PS5 lifespan? Is it really? Like, is it really still being supported? Because I feel like everything that's coming to PS4 could run on PS4. Do you know what I mean? Well, like, like Last of Us Remastered is not coming to PS4. Sure. Um, Spider-Man's not coming to PS4. Sure. Wolverine's not. 
Sure. You know. And I do want to say, you know, he's saying this and he says, well, Sony finally shut the door. And so I do wonder if he's meaning from a first party standpoint or if he's talking about any games that are releasing, uh, which ultimately Sony's not going to tell someone to not release something on PS4. Yeah, I think I completely agree outside of themselves so I, I mean i do think of other things right like hogwarts legacy is a game that came to ps4 okay um yeah, we're it came seeing to switch so sure sure you're you're right it came to literally every platform yeah. they could get it on it'll be on um, mobile another example is uh them announcing plans to work on a ps4 port and xbox one port of um star wars jedi survivor yeah that's crazy which is an interesting choice um, definitely when they just did the Dead Space remake and uh, made it exclusive to next-gen consoles and originally had said that they planned to make Survivor exclusive to next-gen consoles. Um, so it's certainly a weird thing that's happening, but I mean, four games that are hitting it, would you agree that it, like, regardless of what we may want as consumers, Sony has every reason in the world to be expected to want to support this 130 million unit, you know, potential sales market. Well, I think that's exactly what it is. There's so many people there that they're not going to turn them away. There's clearly enough people on PS5 where Sony first party feels comfortable releasing there, but there's no reason Persona 4 Golden can't be just the PS4 version. Like, what are you gaining by having it be better? You know what I mean? So I think it's just a matter of degrees. If, if you know clown city um P- is a ps4 ps5 game and it's a 2d metroidvania in 8-bit graphics it's like what are we we're not we're not really fighting about anything right just let it be there that's fine yeah what i would say is that we're hitting the point where people are not fighting for the game more often than not to be on ps4 uh, if they don't feel like you can do it and a good example of that is something like alan wake 2 where someone like remedy would stand to benefit from having a game like alan wake 2 be on as many platforms as they could possibly get it to work on but they're not going to compromise the game they wanted to make in order to do that. Uh, and I think that that's very obvious in the way that Alan Wake 2 is designed and how far it pushes. And the fact that arguably Alan Wake 2 actually on Xbox Series X and PS5 has a little bit of trouble. I wouldn't say has trouble running, but they make a lot of... Uh, they, they take a lot of caveats with putting the game onto those consoles and making them run. And they, and they run well and they look great. But if you look at what the game's doing on PC and how crazy the game can be, they had to do a lot of work to get it working on consoles the way they did. So there's absolutely no way you were going to do that on PS4. And so they chose not to run the game on PS4, which was the right choice. Um, so I think the only way I would really start chastising this heavily is if it was overwhelmingly first party which I think would be fair um, because Sony has a, as much as they have a duty to support the PS4 base that they sold onto, they have a duty to push the PlayStation 5 as far as they can reasonably get it for the people that have made the transition to PS5. Um, So unless we start seeing people try to shoehorn games onto PS4 that just absolutely can't do it, or if we start hearing stories of games being pulled back and not being how they were originally designed in order to make sure they can run on PS4 still, those are the only times that I think you'd really have an argument out of me. So, Yeah, it's just, if it makes sense, for me, as long as it makes sense, I don't want to see 
you know, big AAA games on PS4, but, you know, smaller, you know, Jeff Keighley's definition of an indie game, all those kind of things I think are okay on PS4 and PS5. Sure. Well, I'm going to go ahead and move us into the uh, the main topic slash communities take. But Chris, since this kind of came from you, I want you to spearhead this. I want you to go ahead and okay. uh, I-, I bequeath you my hosting rights uh, and just remind you that if, ideally if we can kind of be <laughs> mindful of time, then we're, being, we're, we're doing good. All right. Um, well, let me first grab um, the links I sent you uh, for Discord. I should have done that already. I apologize. Uh, it's okay. I was actually going to ask if they were supporting evidence towards your idea or they were toward, just, the, toward the idea of an Xbox tax being a thing that some people are uh, using to describe the situations that are going on right now. Um, some of them. Um, I think a big – Dustin Legary obviously did his whole thing. Um, I don't know if you watched that, but he was uh, – he did a live stream talking about the Xbox tax. Look, the reality is it's like it's it's people online are upset that there seems to be a bias again against Xbox and they show evidence like different different news articles and, you know, four to five being snubbed and all of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's inter- it's just it's just weird things. Um I don't know, like Stellar Blade is a big one. Um, (laughs) Someone posted, you know, the taxes that are being on the Xbox store, like a joke. But the reality is, I think, do you think the media is specifically biased against Xbox? And do you believe that games do you do you like it's a lot of do you think starfield would be at 97 if it was on playstation and i think that's ridiculous as someone who played starfield i think that's an insane line of thinking yeah as someone who didn't play starfield i think starting from that prep uh, that you know that um that setup right if that's the that's the place that you're choosing to kind of start this conversation at um I would I would caution anyone who really tries to find any real value in that because I think that the conversation around Starfield came and went as quickly as it did as a means to show you that it can be a good game that people enjoyed and people did talk about and it had its moment. But the moment that the next game that could meet it or even surpass it came about that conversation kind of ended. And the reason I say that is that we were talking about Skyrim for a lot longer after its release than we were Starfield. And we've brushed up on this already, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. But I think the clear answer here is that Bethesda's game design has not evolved enough in order for a game like that to come out and dominate the conversation the way that it once did. That's it. They Other people have caught up with them arguably surpass them depending on who you ask or depending on what you think that the market wants right now. And I think Baldur's Gate 3, therefore Larian Studios, are a prime example of what people want and the type of area that you used to see Bethesda kind of exist in, which is this is the type of the game you don't see very often and it's you're, you're wowed and surprised by it. So with all those things in mind, I just, I just think there's no reasonable way 
in which you should look at this and think that the media, that the only reason that Starfield didn't do better is because of media bias. Well, and it's it's ridiculous, right? Because the media has been talking about Skyrim since I was a spermazoid. And now, do, do you think that the media suddenly started hating Bethesda because they were bought by Microsoft? No, Starfield came out and it was fine. Just like Fallout 4 came out and probably has around the same level of review. And even if it's higher, the bar was lower for Skyrim. Nobody, there was no conversation about a PlayStation tax when Horizon fell out of the conversation after three hours because Tears of the Kingdom came out and Breath of the Wild both times, right? There's no, nobody's calling for a PlayStation tax. It's ridiculous. Though I will say, just to give, (laughs) this is a good time to bring in one of the responses because I'm not saying that I agree with it, but to your point, you're right. No one brought up the PlayStation tax, but people did bring up the Nintendo, not whatever you want to call it, the Nintendo tax and the Nintendo bias, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I want to go to our uh, our boy, the ghost of Blake Post, who says, my comment is that the idea of an Xbox tax is ridiculous, but I've seen a number of people say this ain't real, who also say the Nintendo bump is real. So however, whatever you want to call it, a bump attacks, whatever it be, um, that was what that was the conversation that happened. It, the conversation wasn't about how there was a PlayStation tax and it got hit <clears throat> because it was PlayStation, but rather that Nintendo got the bump. And I do think this is all just framing because arguably you can say the same thing. You can say, well, the reason Starfield uh, didn't get talked about longer and wasn't as celebrated as it should be is because Spider-Man got the PlayStation bump. That's well, and, arguably how you could you could choose to frame this, right? But you couldn't frame it that way, right? You would have to say Baldur's Gate got the PlayStation bump because Baldur's Gate came out the same time as Starfield, not Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Sure. So it yeah, but Spider-Man be was close one. to it, to be fair, just to yeah. throw it out there. I just, you know, I don't know that it's close enough to compare because again, yeah, these, right. are, these are single-player games, so... You know, a single-player game falling off a month over release and being trounced by the new spider-man video game i do think is that should just be something logical right but you can't talk about you can't be a proponent of this xbox tax and then say and then talk about baldur's gate because then there's no evidence there baldur's gate was always coming to xbox the series s is the reason it didn't come to xbox right so you can't use you know i'm not saying you and i'm just talking in the royal you right royal you yep you can't talk about, oh, well, Bethesda, Starfield was oversaturated. I guess you could talk about, well, Starfield was oversaturated by Spider-Man. But in the pre-release state of Spider-Man, if, if Starfield's getting overshadowed by trailers, what does that tell you about Starfield on the regular player base? They don't care. You know? Sure. That's why I do think more apt comparison is Baldur's Gate. And Baldur's Gate is a fresh new take on an RPG genre that a lot of people don't play. And a lot of people are new to because of this really incredible masterpiece of a game. So it got overshined. Again, this is this is Fallout 4 had the same problem with The Witcher. Just like Horizon had this problem with Zelda twice. 
Yeah. You know? Well, where I would go with this, too, is that I think a really important thing to know is you can let people go, well, Baldur's Gate had issues. And it did. I'm not, uh, I'll be the first person to say Baldur's Gate did have issues. Yeah. Uh, but I think that if you look back throughout history, Bethesda games have always had issues, but they've always been given the benefit of the doubt anyway because the games inspired something in you because there wasn't really anybody doing something similar enough or at a same scale. So when Baldur's Gate 3 does come along and does something in a similar scale but in a different form, because it's not the same type of RPG. It's very, right. It is different. No, um, completely different. But does it in a different form. I think what happens is that blemishes and all – there is more luster to the mystery and the uncertainty and, or this uh, unfamiliarity with a game like Baldur's Gate 3 and the type of game it is because of the fact that it is doing for people what Bethesda games used to do. And Bethesda games have always had blemishes and flaws that people love them through anyway. Um, so yes, if you really want to look at anything... I think that there is an underlying aspect of something here to where I won't call it tax. And I don't even want to look at this at some level of, uh, of the, like the system of game reviews or any of that. I want to look at this from a player sentiment standpoint. When you are, when you as a player are playing these two games, as long as they both somewhat speak to your sensibilities in some capacity and can pull you toward them, I am going to imagine that most people are going to look at Baldur's Gate 3 and what they're doing at the level at which they're doing it, definitely when it comes to story and characters, which are notable weaknesses that everyone's given Starfield, and they're notable heights that everyone has given to Baldur's Gate 3. And I think most people who really do like both are going to look at Baldur's Gate 3, regardless of whether it really even is better, from the fact that it's got a luster to it. It's doing this new thing. And Bethesda was doing a new thing, and then they just kept doing that same thing over and over again, and it doesn't feel as new as it once did. It still feels like a Bethesda game, and you can still love it, and you can still enjoy it, but the luster that comes with doing something novel is important to the way that we perceive games, and I do think Baldur's Gate 3 benefits heavily from being novel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That was my biggest issue with Starfield, is it felt, it felt like Fallout in space, and I'm attracted to Fallout because of the lore in the world. So Starfield just kind of fell hollow for me. But that's my opinion. I think one of the big things I want to say about this is that there, maybe this is a hot take or a surprising take, but there is 100% a bias towards PlayStation in the industry. Okay. But I think that is a direct result of xbox being trounced in sales it's almost two to one so review console review copies are going to be the playstation version because that is where most people are a lot of the coverage is going to be playstation centric because that is where most people are a lot of reviewers are going to be a playstation players because again that is where the people are you know, Xbox. So can has I pause a, you for a second? Go for it. Keep keep your thought because I what I want to do is I want to inject a piece of Xbox list like Xbox fan listeners comments into this so that we can continue what you're saying with this ounce of what they're coming from. So I want to get back to Starfield in a minute. 
but specifically talking more about Xbox and PlayStation and why the sentiments are the way they are. Rude Days 93 comes back around. He says, as more of an Xbox fan, I don't believe in the Xbox tax as it's being portrayed on Twitter, but I do think that there is a bias against Xbox, or as you say, a bias toward PlayStation, which inherently means a bias against Xbox. Um, Especially among the more traditional gamers, those into physical media, against subscriptions, etc. I think many of Xbox's decisions that push the idea of digital only get much more backlash or black a blowback than Sony gets. One example being the outrage people had on Xbox for releasing a digital Series X compared to PlayStation being now basically one discontinued uh, attachable disk drive uh, away from being all digital. <laughs> Interesting. So while I don't believe in this Xbox tax that is on the internet right now, I do think that there is a bigger bias against Xbox. Some of it that is Xbox's own doing, some of it also just unnecessary hate. We'll get to the Starfield part of this thing in a second, but I want you to continue what you were thinking, what you were talking about, and I want all the listeners to kind of think about this through what he's saying, because I think what you're saying is tying into a little bit of what's going on here and why, if you want to call them biases, it's fine, but why these things exist the way they do. I think you're starting to touch on the cruel reality of how these things come about and how yeah. they don't always have intention. Yeah, I mean, the cruel reality is that most people are looking towards PlayStation because most people play on PlayStation. I don't think that's a dig to Xbox as people would like to say. If you're an Xbox fan and you're taking you're taking advantage of Game Pass, that's awesome for you. But, you know, I you don't have to look beyond your own ecosystem where God King Phil Spencer told you himself that Xbox lost the single worst generation they could have lost. And again, had Xbox not pushed the things they pushed, like backwards compatibility, we would be in a whole new different position. But Xbox, from the losing perspective, tried to do a customer first thing that pushed Sony to put it to put it in their console too. So once backwards compatibility became a thing, you'd never you, you're never going to get the reset that happened from the PS1 to the PS2 or the PS2 to the PS3. At least for after the first 3 or 4 years, you know, of the PS3. So that in and of itself and like he says people pushing towards digital is a huge thing. I have I think a th- over a thousand games in my PS5 library digitally. There is not a chance in this world that I would leave it alone, no matter what Xbox put out. And I think that's a lot of people. People who have even less investment in the console than I do are never going to move forward. To There's nothing that Xbox is going to do that is going to let them get rid of their past purchases. The only thing they could, the only thing Xbox could do is be like, we'll validate your library. You can have every game you have on PlayStation if you come to Xbox. That's the only way. And that would be insane. But even then, trophies are a huge thing. I was joking with Blake that the real Xbox tax is that I would probably have the Starfield Platinum, but I'm probably never going to beat it on PS on PC. Is that is that the Xbox tax? Or is that because I prefer to play on PlayStation? I like getting trophies. And that's my ecosystem. 
I'm not going to leave behind 128 platinums. I work, I, you know, I quote unquote worked hard for those. You know, sure. I'm proud of that. It's the fucking background of my computer is my platinum mosaic. I, I, that, I take part in that system. And I think there's a lot of people who are like that. I think the framing of there's a bias against Xbox is ridiculous because 99% of the industry was totally fine with Xbox gobbling up two gigantic publishers. Okay, just because the conversation was what's going to be exclusive and what's not doesn't mean that people were actively against it. The biggest arguments you could find were, I don't like consolidation in the industry. It was never Xbox can't do this or Xbox bad, all this kind of stuff. Or at nope. least not in a place that had enough genuine, like genuine vocal support. Right. And yeah, like it, of am, course it existed. That's important to note. Like yeah, someone somewhere on some kind of podcast or maybe even in some official looking, you know, some website that gets a couple hundred click throughs. Sure. Someone said that, but. The reality well, yes. is, is most reasonable people were more worried about what consolidation can do to the industry. But here's the thing. You saying that is objectively true, but like not to disparage us. We love our audience. We're sure. such a small show. Of course. That if somebody sent this segment of the podcast to fucking Destin Legary and was like, this is the Xbox tax, you'd be like, who the fuck are these two guys? You know, that's the point I'm making. It's not that we're not doing good work or our little audience and community doesn't matter. What it means is like, we don't, we're not truly tastemakers in this industry. So just because I don't like Horizon or you don't play, didn't play Starfield doesn't mean that the whole industry is turned against it. Some op-ed on metro.co.uk doesn't fucking prove an Xbox tax. It proved that one dude wrote a dumb article about player counts, which by the way, all the people who were freaking out about this story and calling it the Xbox tax were posting pictures of how few players are playing ratchet and clank on PC or the Spider-Man drop off. You know, this is, this is just normal console war bullshit, except now Xbox is in a very fragile place. That is just reality of the Xbox ecosystem, right? Phil Spencer has told you himself, if we don't grow, we fail. And guess what? They haven't grown in what, two years? I think that's what he said. The last time they reported numbers, it was 25 million. And on the stand, he said there's been no noticeable growth from that number. And in his leaked emails, they were talking about it becoming worth doing with 100 million subscribers. So the reality here and the worry here is that Xbox won't exist as we know it. You know? that, And I think that's where a lot of this is coming from, where it's like, you know, it, it's one of those things, right? The 2018 Boston Red Sox were one of the best baseball teams of all time. And there were still Yankee fans on Twitter telling me the Red Sox are garbage. The Red Sox won 118 games that year and won the World Series. But there are still people telling me they're garbage. This is this, this just what people do. Okay? Yeah. I've said it before, but... It, if the console wars weren't so toxic, it would just be sports. But it's so co- it's so toxic and shitty that people don't even want to acknowledge the fact that the console war could be kind of fun. 
Oh yeah, I, I actually agree with that. <laughs> but it's it, it's viewed and uh, vilified, and it's it, it's viewed so toxically and vilified so often that a lot of times you can't just actually look and go. Why can't it just be fun jabs? Why can't it be fun of like, oh, look how much better we're doing this this year versus your your side, yeah. and with, with no actual hate. And I say that as someone who I, I'm not. I've never been a big um, like a big football fan or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like the sports I'm mostly into are like soccer and F1. like NASCAR and yeah, <laughs> racing, which are not really viewed the same way. But some of those same tendencies come up because like I remember like it just depends on who you are as a person. But like I remember growing up, my dad was like absolutely Dale Earnhardt's terrible and he's awful. And then he died. <laughs> and even my dad, after he died, went and bought a, a Dale Earnhardt like diecast car diorama because he was like i still respect him yeah. you know but it's just one of those things where you see those same tendencies pop up even in less team-oriented sports when it's more like a single person because that's really what nascar is like you're following a racer and you'll like certain racers right. and maybe a racing team because those do exist um but it's the tendency for when you like things to get a competitive nature and have fun with the competition. Uh, and I do think that there is a reasonably fun way to be able to be like, oh, man, Xbox is uh, do Xbox is killing it this year. Can you believe what they've been able to put out this year? Wow, that's pretty wild. The whole PlayStation can hit back against it. But it's all done so toxically, and and it's a lot of it's because of how online gaming uh, discourse has always been because when gaming wasn't this big massive thing that everyone was doing one of the only ways that you could fraternize with other people who liked gaming was to go online mm-hmm. but that means you've always had an air of anim- uh, anonymity that people like sports fanships and sports rituals all got built on the back of communicating through talking with people at work and talking with friends and you know reading newspaper articles and all these different things that are vastly vastly different than how the team elements of, or however you want to say it, you know, the rituals around console and console warring have been formed and they've been formed under a lot of anonymity and all those different things. So letting it go as it is, I actually kind of mourn the fact that there can't just be fun jabs. It can't be how we can, like, why can't we just talk about the fact that Nintendo went from their worst console ever to their best selling console ever back to back and talk about damn who would have thought that was coming right exactly it, you know and i don't mean to call anybody out but it shouldn't be that me talking about starfield or us having conversations in discord or on twitter or any of this stuff makes us oh well you guys seem like xbox fans right i always hate that yeah it's, and, and there's been a few people that have said it yeah it's stupid. I barely touch my Xbox, and that's not to try and like validate my stance as a PlayStation thing. But it's like it's so baseless. It's just because I praise Xbox when they do something well, which I think everyone should, yeah. or I praise the few times where I really feel like Nintendo has talked to me as a consumer. That does not mean that I'm suddenly not a fan of PlayStation. I am a fan of Xbox sometimes, and I am a fan of Nintendo sometimes, and I'm a fan of what PlayStation's doing a lot more often than those other two. <clears throat> But that's that's it, you know. Right, you know it, it. It's one of those things where, you know, I don't know. I don't feel like we should have to feel like we need to address controversy because I said I don't like Horizon. Sure, you know, because we did that. People were all up in arms about it, and I was like, we guess we should talk about it, you know. And yeah, that it's it's one of those things where it's not. Is that a is that a PlayStation bias? 
Is that an, you know what is it? It's just people being fans of the console, right? That's why I think you know peek behind the curtain a little bit. I think when you asked me to join the show, we talked a little bit about rebranding as a more gaming centric show because I think sure. I said to you, I was like, I don't think I want to necessarily be tied to PlayStation. That is where we both play, but I at the time I had fully intended on playing Starfield. Yeah, and I still did. If I had an Xbox Series X, I might play it, but. As everyone who listens to the show knows, my computer is all fucked up. And quite frankly, I don't feel like sitting at it and playing video games. I'd rather sit on my couch. So yeah. I don't want to play <laughs> Starfield. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I should no, have I think to that's fair. And that. just just to note you coming on the show, the thing this is important. Anyone who's listened to this show for a long time, of which a lot of people uh, stayed in the transition, plenty of people decided that the show's changed, which absolutely happened. Uh, the, the dynamic of the show changed because the dynamic of the hosts are different. Um, and that's important to note, but um, people who've been here for long enough and who knew Saul and I's version of the show versus mine and yours version of the show, I think it's always been plainly evident that we celebrate what we think is good and we you know, chastise what we think is bad, but we do it from a fairly common ground place like we're being yeah. fair with our criticisms most of the time and it doesn't mean that everyone will always agree with what our criticisms are but i think it's more about i think our intent whenever we talk about anything positively or negatively is pure and it's mm-hmm. not trying to mask or smoke screen some deeper thing you know one thing i can pride myself on saying is that i've never once come onto this podcast and said something just for some kind of clout uh, right. or that i know i didn't truly believe that wasn't obviously a gag. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's like, that's the thing. And I think that we're in a position where we can do that. And I do in just a second, I want to get to a lot of the, uh, a lot more of the responses here. Cause there's, there's a lot of interesting insight to the way people view Xbox, um, as a, as a market. But yeah, I think it's important to note that we are a PlayStation podcast and we say that all the time. And I think it's fair cause we do the vast majority of our gaming on that system. Uh, but realistically speaking, uh, the fact that even being a PlayStation podcast does come with this expectation that we bash the uh, the opponents uh, is unfortunate because I uh, don't want to be a pessimist and I will always be true to the way I think and feel. Uh, and so that's what the show has remained. But I know that this show could be a much bigger piece of the puzzle if I really wanted it to be if you just gave in to the the console wars. And if we started smashing Xbox and just posting clips of us saying things that are super wild just to get a reaction and get a thing, the show could gain a lot of traction, but that's not what I want. And I I would never want to be famous from this show because of making that concession. So it's not worth it. Um, It it makes us dishonest, you know? It would have been dishonest for me to come on the show and been like, oh, I love Horizon. Aloy's the best. Like, it's not, you know, it's whatever. It's just, it's, I think people project what they want to see onto people, right? So when someone looks at IGN and sees a negative Xbox article, if they scrolled a little bit, they'd probably see a negative PlayStation article, depending on the week, but they focus on the Xbox article. Yeah. And the writer, right? And the writer. That all comes down to, um, well, Chris, I think we've done plenty of uh, postulating on our own here. <laughs> Let's kind of get a couple more of these answers in play because there are some interesting things that we can kind of discuss here before we wrap the show up. Um, 
Rude Cold, long term, a long time friend, long time patron. Uh, he's one of the people that you know has stayed and can, has seen this show through pretty much every iteration. He says there's no such thing. Xbox have been in the industry for the past 20 years. Not like they are the new kids on the block anymore. They just haven't produced a game of the year contender, and Starfield is a good game. But unfortunately, the Bethesda formula hasn't aged well, and they have been surpassed by other devs that have produced better RPGs. Um, I almost have zero remarks there because it's such a uh, an obvious thing, you know? <laughs> Um, sorry, I gotta. No, you're fine. I I agree with the the comment. You know, it's <laughs> it's funny because I don't want to sound like a boomer, right? But this whole Xbox tax reminds me of it's just people like where are my participation trophies? You know, <laughs> it does it, it it really does though because it's like well, Starfield should have been nominated. Xbox isn't representative at all. It's like, so what do you want them to do? Just hand you a sixth place vote because that makes you feel better? Yeah. You know, they put out the voting and it was Starfield came in 17th place behind Honkai Star Rail, a game that came out last year. You know, sure. Apex mm-hmm. was just, was right below it. So it's, it's just, <laughs> you're never going to get a better result by trying to force people to acknowledge or be nicer to your console. You know, I think the, I think, and I said it when it happened, right? The call of duty, at least I wrote the news this way that the call of duty reviews were overblown because they're staring, they're playing the single player and the single player is garbage. And I don't think I've heard anyone defend it, but the game came out and it was really good. But did you want, Oh, this is a this is a nine The campaign is garbage. No, you didn't. You you. This should be what you want. Do you want Xbox to buy Micro Activision and then they just put out shitty Call of Duty games? Even if the even if the package may be good for the multiplayer, it's just Modern Warfare Two's multiplayer with some tweaks and new guns and new maps. So. What are you asking for here? They made a bad campaign. You should hold their feet to the fire for it. Every report is that it was a DLC. It was on the verge of being canceled, and they shit it out. That's that's just bad management. That's a Bobby Kotick thing. It's not even Xbox yet. So what are you defending? <laughs> it's an Xbox. Yeah. It's a it's a it's an it's a game being made under Bobby Kotick and under an independent Activision. So if anything, you should be like. This is this this just proves that Xbox did the right thing by taking Activision away. Instead, we're trying to pretend that a mediocre game is good. It's not, you know. Yeah. Starfield is just is just as an eighty four. Are you you you'd you rather them get a bump and you get an eighty four again? No. Okay, they want a ninety on their next game. They better step it up. Stop making me load every time I go through a door. It's just basic stuff. This is stuff that we're not. If if Spider Man had load screens, it would be a seven, maybe. You know, but we're not gonna say. I wouldn't sit here and say, "Oh, the PlayStation tax." I'm gonna throw all my cobwebs into the Boston Harbor. No, this is fucking outrageous. It's make better games. That's the one thing <laughs> Xbox has failed at. 
Well, to uh, follow up to your standpoint here, uh, RMG0731 says, it's hard to believe in the Xbox tax when just two years ago, they were named Metacritic Publisher of the Year, with Psychonauts 2 being a nominee. Having played both Starfield and Hi-Fi Rush, I almost believe they get overrated as Starfield in particular was very polarizing with Steam and Xbox store scores being very poor. Um, I think the first half of that is really an actually fairly salient point to make. Uh, they inherited Psychonauts 2 as a project that was already well underway, mm-hmm. uh, that was kickstarted. Actually, it wasn't kickstarted, but it was uh, Figs or whatever, where you like... <laughs> but I can't remember <laughs> the actual name of the site, Fig. but it's something like that, where, yeah, you like buy into the company or something to some degree. Yeah, it was like stocks, basically. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, but you're buying up seeds that are going to grow into something bigger to make the game happen which is great. And they got a great game out of it. And ultimately, at the end of the day, their name was attached to it. Um, and much in the same way we are talking about people are defending a Call of Duty game just because it happened to come out after the closure when it's not even really anything that was made under Xbox's you know tenure. Um, the same thing should be looked at here. If, if they are being nominated for a Metacritic Publisher of the Year all because of one game that they inherited from a purchase, I, I think it does kind of give a, a, a at least like a kneecap shot to the idea of this Xbox tax being a thing. Unless your argument is that somehow the Xbox tax has developed across the last year and a half, which I just think is not really fair because I think, uh, Forza Horizon 7 or whatever the hell it was called. I can't remember which Mm -hmm. one it was, uh, got a ton of great press from them. It scored very high, uh, hi-fi rush, Maybe didn't sell crazy well, but it's also a uh, a Game Pass game, so it's a little hard to look at that. But it scored really well. People have been talking about it all year long. It is the only title from Xbox Studios that has consistently been brought up outside of this conversation about how it might have been snubbed because of it being an Xbox title. It is the one game that constantly gets being brought up about how it should be represented in the Game Awards and how it is well represented in the Game Awards, even though it didn't quite hit um, game of the year category. Uh, and something that's really important to note about game of the year too, or game of the year category is the only title in the game of the year category that is not at a 90 on Metacritic is Alan Wake two. And it's at an 89. Yeah. Which kind of feels like, yes, is it in the eighties, but it's so close to the others that it makes sense for it to be there. Um, did you have something you want to say? Chris? Yeah. <laughs> This is just not the year to make this argument. Yeah. It's not. It's a hard year for anything. It's like we talked about with all these other games. It's just there are plenty of games that I love this year. And honestly, in a year full of great games that people are talking about, some of my favorite games are some of the games that were not necessarily treated well i won't treated well sounds bad. That's something I'm saying that it didn't deserve it. But there are they are games that did not critically astound anyone. Yeah, and yet I really enjoyed them, and that kind of just becomes a thing. It's like there's nothing to belittle your opinion on a game. Your favorite game of this year and your game of the year can be any game that spoke to you. But Trep- when you're doing something like this, it's just that's not how it's, it's going to happen. Trepang Two is probably going to be on my game of the year list, and is there a Trepang Two tax? Because nobody fucking talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. Yeah, I want to bring the the next one up. So TT Dog Six 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 is a, a longtime listener, longtime patron, and to what we were saying earlier, I remember the first time that I ever heard from Mark um, was that 
he had wrote uh, wrote he had written a uh, like a blog or or something to that that degree where he was talking about um, how he had stepped outside for a walk one morning and happened to click on our podcast and he was really surprised to find that we were a PlayStation podcast that wasn't immediately trying to dunk on Xbox and instead we're looking at the good and bad of what they were doing and noting that. Um, and so I think his opinion here is really interesting uh, because he is a far heavier leaning towards the Xbox side of things. And he says Starfield's a good game, but it's not a great mm-hmm. game. It doesn't deserve a spot in the Game of the Year nominations when you see what else has been released and what else has been nominated. Europe-wise, Xbox sales tanked, and this is important to note, he is from Europe, uh, as they have ignored any promotion and marketing all year as they tried to appease the regulators over the ABK deal. Can't remember any TV ads these last six months, whereas Sony and PlayStation are everywhere. Bias-wise... GameSpot seems to be only too keen to have a cheap uh, shot when they can, but most sites, I'd say, are fairly even-handed. IGN used to get uh, stick (laughs) for bashing PlayStation at a time when almost every story was bad news for Sony. Um, And I think all that kind of comes together to say there's a story here. Uh, when Xbox is doing poor sales-wise, when they've completely ignored promoting in some of the biggest markets they could have because they're trying to make these other moves that are happening, that means they get less console sales. To Chris's point earlier, the less console sales you have, the less relevant you are in the conversation as a grand scheme because they do look and go, well, we're going to probably send a PlayStation code because most people are going to play PlayStation. That is the more important one of the two consoles to mm-hmm. make sure that you get a review out for because it's the bigger market for those games and it tends to be the, the, mm-hmm. the market where most games sell better on. Of course, as a general rule, there are exceptions to every rule, uh, but it's important to note that these are how these things happen and trying to make moves elsewhere can hurt your business in another spot. Um, and like you said, so IGN clearly had a uh, penchant for criticizing PlayStation at a time when all sorts of things were bad for Sony. So there's never a time where every outlet's going to be kind to every person. I think PlayStation's gotten a lot of flack. Actually, I remember a lot of outlets giving uh, Jim Ryan and Sony flack for what they viewed as trying to block the Xbox Activision deal. Uh, And so what do you say there? I mean, if people are willing to say that Sony and Jim Ryan, who's a head of Sony, were in the wrong, is there really a connection that you can make that the same media that had that opinion and chastised Sony for it are also giving Sony extra points? Yeah, it just Jim Ryan was a laughing stock for half this year. And I'll maintain to this day, Jim Ryan did Did a a phenomenal job. Yeah, it did his job. And it doesn't even matter how you feel about what he did. It's his job. Yeah. And at the end of the day, as much as we like to look at these people and hope that there's some kind of person in there that we can look at, the reality is is that we're doing that. We're choosing to do that. What Sony is looking at is a lot less about the person and a lot more about the results. And Sony is in a great position. Yeah. Uh, Well, let me say this. Sony as a whole may not be in a great position. I don't want to speak to what I'm not necessarily knowledgeable of, but PlayStation is in a great position. And they have had massive year-over-year growth every year since 2013, basically. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to argue with results. And they've grown significantly since PS5 alone. That's important to note. Uh, Even their numbers at the end of PS4, which are great, they have brought in far more revenue since the PlayStation 5 in the three years since it's been out. Uh, which is really important to to say, regardless of how you feel about him as a person, he has gotten results. And a lot of people give love to Phil Spencer, 
because he is a far more likable person than the person who was in that role before him. But if we're actually looking at what's going on, Phil Spencer has been responsible for results in things that consumers like. But I, it's a little harder to immediately go, he's been a net positive for Xbox's actual growth as a company. And that is, of course, to be fair to him, because he chose a much riskier model to bet the business on. And it is a model that can't truly be understood how good or a bad idea it was until you've given it enough time to saturate the market effectively. And arguably, we're not there yet. It took Netflix years and years and years and years to become profitable mm-hmm. once they tri- primarily switched to being a streaming service. But they did it, and Xbox could, but we just don't know that yet. Um, that I, I want one more because I always like shouting out new people who uh, I don't feel like we've heard from much or at all. So this is Justin Goodrum over on the Facebook page, and he says that would be the equivalent of inclusion for inclusion's sake mentioning Starfield. Any other year, Starfield would have had a strong chance. The only nomination that doesn't have, this is the exact point, the only nomination that doesn't have a 90 or higher on Open Critic uh, is Alan Wake 2, and that even has an 89. At the end of the day, it's all subjective anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, and I think it's kind of going more towards the focusing in on the Xbox tax as it relates to the Starfield of it all, since that seems to be the catalyst for this conversation to begin with. It's like a lot of it's based around how Starfield performed um, com- like critically and how it's being, how it's performing one way or the other with its nominations. So um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like Chris and I said, at some point, if you're being included just for the sake of inclusion, but you're the obvious odd one out, what's the value? Right. There used to be a term for that, you know, it's, <laughs> I just don't, I don't know. The biggest thing I want to make a point of is just stop being so sad. Like, (laughs) seriously, though, these are billion-dollar companies that we're talking about media bias. And And every media is as biased as the click rate will afford them. Uh, I want to make that I want to make that clearly obvious, but I think that most most outlets are smart enough to not do that in the reviews. I mean this genuinely. Most outlets are not going to choose that fight and to give into that on the reviews. Most won't. What they will do is get spicy on their op eds Mm -hmm. because it's just an opinion piece. And as, as much as a review is an opinion. It is an opinion that has weight towards a system that everyone understands impacts the way that people who make games get paid and all sorts of things. That's why I say that most people who have any real weight in their review game that hit Metacritic and Open Critic and all these things alike are not, they don't take the responsibility lightly there because it does impact a lot of things and it potentially reflects back super negatively on the outlet. Mm-hmm. You have a lot more wiggle room in what you do from an op ed standpoint. Because then you can just go, it's just the opinion of the writer. It doesn't reflect the, uh, it it doesn't have to reflect the integrity of the, um, what would you even call that? I guess the (laughs) journalistic company or whatever it is. It's like, it doesn't have to mess with anything else. And I think it goes back to what we're talking about with at the Game Awards. If the Game Awards chose to include Starfield to uh, just appease a small group of people who feel like it should be there, 
ultimately they're taking a risk of putting the integrity of that organization at risk. And there's a value proposition at play there. You more or less want to try and do what you really think a vast majority of people are going to find fair and reasonable to have reached a conclusion. Otherwise, you run the risk of messing with your integrity. And as we've seen, if you start to have bad integrity plays happen, a lot of the time you lose a lot of market because of it. I don't know if y'all remember how bad Kotaku got hit whenever a lot of people started feeling like Kotaku <laughs> didn't have much integrity and they started losing people. The company that owned them kept, you know, sold them out from under them. And that it means that there are consequences for those actions to some degree. Mm-hmm. And they have to line out. So I think that I am very happy to say that it's obvious that the idea of an Xbox tax as a large overshadowing idea that's at play in the industry, I, I, I feel very safe in saying that that's just false. I but as I will say with all things... There is undoubtedly at least one, if not a handful, of people in this industry who probably are allowing their bias to get the better of them. And it might be resulting in something that is an Xbox tax here. But it's not happening in a widespread enough way for it to truly impact Xbox. And I think that's where it matters. This would have to be a widespread issue for this to be of note. And I think it's obviously not. Yeah, it's just... I don't know what the deal is if it's Elon Musk's monetization on X or if it's probably if it's I mean, it's, legitimately it's not just emotion. Yeah. But I don't understand where this is all coming from. I feel like it's abundantly clear if you really look at what's going on that Xbox is taking its lumps because they deserve it. And they've put themselves they've put themselves in a position to be scrutinized. Sure. When you buy the biggest publisher and two two enormous publishers in this industry, ground shaking moves, and outside of those publishers, you've released Psychonauts two that was done before you got it, and then your staple of in house games, all of which have fallen in quality, at least the at least in the opinion of the majority. Majority meaning. YouTube, uh, Metacritic reviews, right? The, they've fallen short. Halo Infinite is a bust. Gears 5, as much as I'm sure people like it, does not hold up to the rest of the series. You know, these are just reality, right? So it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise that people are a little wary of a publisher who hasn't shown that they have the chops to handle this stuff is start is buying up publishers. That's normal. And that should be what the Xbox people are doing too. They should go, okay, well, I got used to all these games outside of it being really good. What's Xbox going to do? Phil Spencer has led through good feelings and emotions, you know, and that works well for public relations and, you know, taking pictures with the fucking X, you know, with content creators, but believe it or not, that doesn't make games, okay? So in the end, the games speak. And this year especially, the games didn't hit. And the big thing, you know what doesn't help Starfield's reviews? When people are telling me it's going to be the game of the generation. Yeah, when you are putting I had debated part. going to that. I, w- I want to go, before you get too far into it, Josh Ayers, one of our longtime listeners of the show, go for it. literally since like, 
first 10 episodes, I think. My he man. says, I don't think there's a tax. I think Xbox fans talk up games saying dumb stuff like Game of the Generation, and there's no way Xbox devs can live up to that sort of hype. Uh, and I think if you choose to take that at face value and really, or if you choose to not take it at face value, and either way, really, I think that if you're not putting your blinders, if you're not throwing up some kind of thing where you're filtering this through a negative lens, I think it's fair to say that Xbox has not shown that they have the ability, and I would say <laughs> even a large chunk of PlayStation's developers have shown that they game of the generation is a really, really hard label to put on anything because it makes the expectations so high. Right. And while uh, Bethesda had no control over that, it does impact the way that people perceive the game once it does hit. Well, and Bethesda didn't help, right? The first game from the makers of Skyrim and Fallout, you're already putting your game on a pedestal sure. that honestly is unobtainable. You well, can't I'll, I'll recreate say, de- Skyrim. Look, but but deservedly so. I don't I just want to make sure, I mean, make it known that when you've done the work that they've done in creating games that have sold as well as Fallout 4 and Skyrim and Oblivion have sold, it is you should be able to flaunt that to some degree. Absolutely. But you have to be able to back it up. That's and what I, I think it and is. And arguably, is. I'll give them credit. Arguably, they did. The game performed really well. It sold well. Despite a, being a Game Pass style, it still sold well. And it still landed an 84, which is a respectable score. Yeah. The thing with it is it doesn't. it's a good Bethesda game, but the industry has moved past what a good Bethesda game is. At least in terms of being of getting nods for being something that's award worthy. That's yeah. really what to come down to. Yeah. Mortal Kombat One could be the best game ever, but it's like the eighty seventh Mortal Kombat. It's not getting nominated for shit for Game of the Year. It's the same reason why Forza wouldn't and Gran Turismo wouldn't and MLB twenty three the show wouldn't. You know, these are these are known factors outside of you know fighting game and sports game and. Racing game, they those never well, get nominated. Just like horror movies don't get nominated. You're right, for but they're also picture. iterative titles. That's yeah, exactly. And Starfield, for all intents Feels and purposes, is an iterative, like an iterative title. Yeah, it's it's star it's Skyrim in space, and that sounds really good until you play it and realize they haven't fixed the shit that was in Skyrim. <laughs> right. I also, just want to note. I mean, we've already brought this up once. But all sequels are iterative. To um, a degree, yeah. And to I, I just want to be, of course, to some degree, every title out there on this Game of the Year list, separate from Baldur's Gate 3, is very easily considered an iterative title. You can argue that Baldur's Gate 3's gameplay and whatnot is all iteration uh, improvements off of what they built on the back of like Divinity, Original Sin 1 and 2. But was- in the grand scheme of things, it's... An, it's not a new IP, but it's a it's an IP that's been dead for twenty years. So bringing it back around now is, in all fairness, essentially fresh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Look, I don't know. I think we've kind of talked the topic through. I just think sure. at a certain point, it's <laughs> not everyone has to agree with you, and well, nobody's out offer, to hurt you. I want to offer a slightly different take. As someone who hasn't played a lot of these games. This is what I really want to offer you. At a time when there were years where Xbox just had slow output, take the quality out of it. Let's just take a step back and actually just say, there were years where Xbox were having problems putting out any games. And one thing that's fair to say for this year 
is that while none of their titles may have hit any kind of award, uh, Game of the Year award level, uh, they have other titles that have gotten other nods for other things. They have put out Hi-Fi Rush, Redfall, for all of its flaws and everything. They put out a game. Uh, they put out Forza, the new Forza Motorsport. They put out Starfield. They have put out games this year, and I'm sure I'm missing something. But my point being is the last couple of years of Xbox, even if they're not hitting um, the game of the year things, and they're, maybe they're not getting the recognition you wish they would get. I think something that's really great to say is if you're an Xbox fan and you've been sitting there, you are finally still getting what Phil Spencer ultimately promised, which is a relatively common pacing of Xbox developed first-party games that are coming out often enough for you to have something to look and go, I can only play this on Xbox on a console side, which is arguably what his job is, and he's starting to succeed on it. And we're not having to ask that question of where are the games, which I think was a genuine question at one point. Mm -hmm. Where are any games? Now it's coming to a potential question from some people of, great, the games are here. When might we see something that rivals the way that Sony fans feel about the first party Sony output usually? Mm-hmm. And that might that might be coming. That might be Hellblade 2. We don't know, but it could be, right? Could it be. could be. For all the crap that we've given it, it could be their perfect dark reimagining. <laughs> it could be. But right now, having a game like Starfield come out and sell and perform as well as it did and be the talk of the town for a bit and win over conversation for a while and still land at an 84 on Metacritic, dude, that's a fucking win. What do you call that? That is a a win. That's awesome. A win's a win. A win's a win. Forza did well. It's a win. I think Xbox has had a good year. Mm. It's just been a steep year for anyone to be able to go, you really dominated this year. Arguably, a lot of people have expressed that even in a year full of big things for Sony, like Final Fantasy 16 and Forspoken was intended to be big, and then you have Spider-Man 2, a lot of people are still not super happy with Sony's output this year because it's a co- it's a very competitive year. And it turns out a lot of third party has been super competitive. Yeah. And that's awesome. It just means that the industry is in a good spot where even like where everyone's firing on good cylinders. And uh, it just means that eventually someone's not going to make the list. That's okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a very optimistic viewpoint to be had here. You just got to, you got to actually look at the good that's coming out of this. Xbox's acquisitions are putting out games and making products for them. And you're getting to enjoy them, whether you're choosing to do it through Game Pass or not. That's what you should be focused on. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm look. I this is my final word, but it's it's a perfect point to this. I fucking love Forspoken. It was a great game. I had a great time with it. It is at like a 64 on Metacritic, and it's got, it's not gotten nominated for a single thing. And I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I and mean, it, it's great because it is the antithesis of everything else we're talking about. It's one of my favorite games this year, and I know that sounds fucking stupid, but. It, Somehow, the way these years played out for me, I've really enjoyed that game, and it stuck with me. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. I can name so many of its flaws, but I enjoyed it. I had a great time, and I've been having a great time seeing people buy it on Black Friday at a super cheap price and have their own great time with it. And I'm not focused on how it didn't get some love it deserved at the awards or whatever. I'm just glad people are playing the game now. That's awesome. So Hell yeah. It's on you to choose how you view these things. And if you choose to view them as what they are, which I think more often than not is 
Maybe it wasn't a W. Like, Forspoken wasn't a W for PlayStation, but it was a W for me. <laughs> yeah. And hey, listen, Days Gone, where's PlayStation tax? Okay. <laughs> and that's that's actually interesting. I won't go too deep into this because we're trying to end the show, right? But there's just as much bias towards PlayStation that makes Days Gone, which that's an 83. But because is it even that? I no no. I'm saying in my mind, I would think oh sure an 83. Yeah, it's probably what a 64. No, I think it's in the 70s. Um, I, I'm looking it up real quick just to be sure. It's a 71. There you go. So Days Gone, I feel, is affected by the level of quality people got used to from PlayStation. So Days Gone being a good game, my favorite game of last generation, wasn't good enough for a lot of people because there's a ton of issues with it. Right. Yeah. And you one, that's, because like you said, the expectation of quality from their output is so right. high that if a game slips at all, it it, it arguably loses points because yeah, it's, it's like, oh well, you've built up an expectation. Exactly. It's kind of like you remember that Metro article, that Metro review of Hi Fire Rush, where they were like, Well, we don't know how many accolades to give it because the Xbox has been a barren wasteland, and people are using that as a point towards the Xbox tax. But if you really think about it, what they're saying is They've had no game for me to sit here and say, this is the best Xbox exclusive or this is the best Xbox rhythm game. They haven't had anything to hold it against. So there is no accolade in terms of best Xbox game, you know, whatever that they can hold it to. It's that simple. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird way to go, but I get it. It's, Ultimately, it's, it's like, how do you wording, stack it up against its own self? Yeah. Or, you know, how, how do you stack Xbox's limited output at the time against itself? That's why I say look at it from the benefits of all the things that that Xbox did put out this year. You know, by the time Hi-Fi Rush was so early in the year that you didn't have a lot to go off of, and but now you do. Now you have plenty of Xbox output that you can go look at that. And then you exactly. get to do the other things, right? Like for it to not be a new release, what about the new Sea of Thieves updates? If you had a fun time with that, great. Xbox fulfilled their promise to you, which was to give you things that you enjoyed that was content. If it's so a new was. game, even better. If it's updates to an existing game it's still something and as long as you enjoyed it you're you're kind of doing well so i, I think the, the thing i would say to take away from all this is just don't rely on the media to tell you what to like and what to not like and the less that you start to care about what the media does and what the media says the less you have to worry about feeling like something was snubbed i constantly enjoy games that don't do well and i just live in the world of knowing that that's okay absolutely <laughs> i'm glad you had fun with forespoken yeah I mean, like, I am a champion for a bunch of games that do not do well. Mm-hmm. Dragon Guard 3 didn't do well. The Order 1886 didn't do well. The original yeah. Nier didn't do well. Thankfully, Nier Automata came out and fucking sold gangbusters for some crazy reason, despite being the same game. Well, arguably. But point being, it's the, it's the nature of the industry. Yeah. Start the celebrating the fact that you can like things that aren't perfect. Yeah, the wrap-up is just... X is not a video game, so go have fun playing video games. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chris. We're going to round this thing out. Uh, What do you think you want the community stake to be? Um... I'm not sure. Let's come back to it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. We didn't really have one this week. Uh, We're kind of waiting in that period right before where we're waiting to see what ends up coming around. Uh, But Did you see that? The leaked um, GTA 6 trailer is December 5th. Oh Lord! <laughs> they couldn't even let Jeff have the anticipation. <laughs> That's uh, well, you know, 
There you have it. We'll see if it's true, though. (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for shooting us your thoughts around this whole idea of the Xbox tax and being open and honest about your thoughts. Uh, And hopefully you got some value out of this. But, Chris, um, go back to your circus and have a good time. And uh, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) All right, buddy. All right, guys, as always, if you want to support the show with more than just your time, head over to patreon.com slash nartech where you can consider giving as little as a dollar per month to the show. Just like Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, Easton328, Aztec King, Leechion69, The Lord Corgi, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. See you next week. Do you want to know how I got these trophies? My controller was an edge and broken. And my Xbox went up to my PlayStation and said, uh, I need you to release worse games because there's a tax on me and I can't stand it. <laughs> oh, he stuck the controller in the PlayStation's CD port and he just. <laughs> <laughs>